Ladies, non-binary persons, gentlemen, Julie Newmar, Eartha Kitt, and Lee Merriweather. The audio performance you are about to enjoy discusses casinos and gambling. We do not recommend gambling with money you cannot afford to lose or that is needed to pay bills. If you have a gambling problem, contact your problem gambling hotline. If you do not know how to contact your problem gambling hotline, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will find that number for you and provide it to you. Our hosts' past performances are not indicative of anyone's future results, including his own. All materials presented here are based on actual facts. Names and dates are changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Some events unrelated to outcomes may be omitted in the interest of preventing listener boredom. It's me, it's TRG, the rambling gambler. Jet flying, check. Corvette driving, check. Wheeling and dealing, check. Styling and profiling, check. Vested, invested, suited and booted, check, 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 and check. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 112 of our Casino Combat Podcast. I am your host, TRG, recently returned from Las Vegas and a wonderful vacation. A little spring break for Mrs. TRG. I do have an update or two regarding, easy for me to say, I do have an update or two regarding the squad. Let me give you the battle plan for episode 112. I've received the same question asked a couple different ways recently, as well as a very fun and useful question from a regular listener. So I will have a questions my sons ask segment to go over both of those items. Following that, I have a new segment for you, TRG saying mean things. Not exactly my first choice. I, uh, I'd i prefer being positive, if at all possible. At the same time, sometimes I just have to call things the way I see them. So I have both an organization and a book that I'm going to say some mean things about. It, it just has to be said. Hopefully in a way that is useful and helpful at minimum to all of you. Uh, maybe helpful to them as well if they happen to be listeners or listening. Excellent. After that, we are going to have a core concept segment. I've been playing around with the Meta Martingale in a new and potentially useful way. I don't know yet. So we're going to try to talk through that. Very experimental, very PhD level stuff here. Not for beginners. Hopefully that's an interesting tease, as they call it in the radio business. After that, we're going to do a travel segment. We're going to talk about living a casino lifestyle in Las Vegas. Yes, I'm going to give you results. I have to give you results. We came home from Vegas down about seven days pay to start the month. And having spent a good bit more than that in the process. The purpose of all this is certainly to make a profit over time, but part of my motivation is also to live a casino lifestyle as the result of being good at the game of casino gambling. I want to use our most recent trip to show you how much Las Vegas and my relationship with it has changed since the early days of the podcast. I'm going to use the travel segment to talk about the trip we took, how I used the comp system, how we enjoyed a week of living a casino lifestyle. No, you know, I wrote it. I just said it. And it's a cop-out. It really is. If, if, if I'm, yeah, it's a cop-out. So I'm sorry, T-Rex. I just made your job a lot more difficult. I did. We're going to scratch the core concept segment. We'll, we'll get back to that at some point in the future. But honesty demands a results segment, not just a one sentence we lost. It, it just does. I, I, 
Sorry, T-Rex, as I said, I made your job more difficult. So I'm going to do a results segment and give you a general overview of the losing. Go into some details, go into my mindset, go into the mistakes. A lot of mistakes were made. A lot of wisdoms were ignored. There, There is, I'm learning something from it, and I think that means maybe some of you are going to learn something through as well. So I'm going to do a results segment, and then we will do the travel segment and walk through the lifestyle part of things. Uh, some of that kind of stuff that really also needs to be said. We're going to make it two segments. And those actually should be very interesting and useful and very different segments, I, I think. At least if it goes the way it, it's sitting in my brain right now. Finally, I have a couple of quick fun stories from our trip. And by the time we get to the virtual VIP lounge, I'm going to be ready for some sips, I'm sure, while I share those stories with you. A couple really fun, just the kind of stories I would tell to friends in a VIP lounge after a trip. And I want to share those with all of you. I'm not probably a lot of learning there. Just just some, some fun things. But one of those fun things is kind of the blackjack table you're always looking for at some moment in a trip and that you don't always get. So that's the plan. Questions? Saying mean things, results, travel, and the virtual VIP lounge. As I said, we will do that core concept segment at a later date. Great idea. I really, I think there's a lot there for our advanced listeners, but we're just not going to do that today. Let me catch you up on the squad, and then we will get started. First up, I need to introduce you to the newest member of the Excelsior Brigade, Wretch. He says in his best VKM voice. Look that up if you're not sure who VKM is. Uh, wrench! The fixer builder gambler who was able to correctly identify my home casino, Casino 2, in less than three tries. Wrench lives near a casino that I get to every four to six weeks, so I'm looking forward to the opportunity to meet him in person in the very near future and 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 really get to know him. Getting to know Wrench just a bit showed me something about the podcast That's very interesting to me. Podcasting is a form of time travel. You see, Wrench has listened from episode one through about episode 60 at the time that he emailed me. And he was hoping to get into the inner circle before it was full. And I got to confess, I didn't go back and look at episodes 58, 59, and 60. We must have been getting pretty close to the magic number 10 there at that episode. So from the point of view of those who have listened to every episode... For those of you that are current, listening to this as a new episode, Wrench is living through our past, certainly through my past life. If he continues to listen in episode order, he will eventually hear about the Excelsior Brigade from the podcast, meet all his fellow Excelsior Brigade members, and learn their stories. And then eventually hear the Brigade learning his story and how he joined us. Wrench will catch up to our present eventually this episode. Now at the same time, I already know what happens some of after this episode. I've started living episode 113 already. From the point of view of the podcast timeline, I unavoidably live in the future. Those of you who are caught up live in the present And those who have not yet heard this episode or heard this episode as their first episode and decided to go back and listen all the way from the beginning, those listeners exist in the past. Does that mean anything? Not really. I'm just amused and amazed that because part of every episode are me reality podcasting my wife with my life with my wife twist those words listeners starting from the beginning often essentially are emailing me from the past and i try not to spoil the future for them 
it's great that Wrench joined the Excelsior Brigade, and I guess eventually he will get back to the future. <laughs> Since I've mentioned the Excelsior Brigade and the Inner Circle several times, let me tell you about something we did recently, just for them and some other podcast high-end contributors. We held a live virtual VIP lounge video call and discussed some sports betting ideas that I'm not ready to go public with yet. And not because I think they're so great, but because I strongly suspect they're junk. But we had a great time getting to know each other, sharing ideas, talking about concepts, and a number of the people who attended said we should do additional live events in the future. I plan to do those. We'll see how things time out. I'm considering future topics. These are going to be things that are not ready for the public yet. Maybe not ready for the public ever. I don't know. That's the purpose from my end of having these conversations with other really smart people with really smart ideas about gambling. If you are a member of the Inner Circle or the Excelsior Brigade, or you've made contributions to the podcast in some form, had email dialogues with me more than just asking for a copy of the, the ebook or something like that. If you have done those things, if you would like to watch the video of the first live virtual VIP lounge session, send me an email, trg at casinocombat.com, spell combat with a K, and I'll be happy to send you a private link to the video so that you can watch and meet some of the other members of the Excelsior Brigade in the inner circle, see what they look like, understand what that meeting was like, and then hopefully uh, you can join us in the future. That would be great. If you want to be included going forward, you can join the Excelsior Brigade by determining the name in the real world of my home casino, Casino 2, just as Wrench did. You can also earn your place on the list by interacting with me and the squad, either by email or in the Casino Combat Squad Facebook group, or by involving yourself with us on Instagram. I'll move on in a minute, but there are two points of view here. My son said, Dad, you're going to do a live online event. You can charge for that. That's why people do podcasts. You can make money from this. People will pay to be part of that. And I think they may be correct, quite honestly. I, I think they may be correct that there might be some people that would pay. That said, I can't think of an amount of money that matters to me that I would be comfortable asking from all of you. If you want to send me money, Whatever amount of money you think you want to contribute, you can use PayPal and email me money, trg at casinocombat.com. You can go to anchor.fm slash casinocombat. There's a support link there. You can support the podcast. And I appreciate all of you that do that. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. If the podcast helps you and you want to help the podcast, that's great. Money makes all of this work at some level. But I don't know how, would I, would I charge you a dollar? Well, I don't care about your dollar. Do I charge you 10? Okay, I still don't care. Sorry. Sorry if that sounds arrogant. Um, I wouldn't feel right charging you 100. Charging 100 would be great. But I, I wouldn't feel right doing that. So there's no, the money just doesn't work at this point. That said, I think that explains why I'm not interested in trying to take your money to be part of a live streaming event. It just doesn't feel right. At least right now, it doesn't feel right. I've decided instead to ask of you a much higher price. 
It's right. I'm not actually giving you a discount. I'm sorry. I wrote this and I read it and that's the truth. I'm not giving you a discount. I want something more than money. I want something more difficult. I want a more difficult to accomplish price. The price of admission to the live events is participation. That's what I get out of this that I value. That's what matters to me more than a few dollars that I'd be willing to ask and that you'd be willing to pay. Knowing other committed gamblers and hearing their ideas and experiences. That's something I can't buy with money, so that's the price of admission. Join the Excelsior Brigade and you're in. Contribute useful questions and interact with me by email. You're in. But admission is based on things money can't buy. Admission is based on participation. A note to the past. If it is 2030 and you are listening to this and then you go on the website and things have changed and now there is a cost to join a live event, I have no control over what future me does. I'm telling you what we're doing now and I'm telling you why and I'm telling you why I value that more than I value any amount of money that I might ask for you from you. If you want to contribute a way bigger amount of money, you're in, right? If you want the simple way to be in and the simple way to participate, you know, go make a donation of four figures. You're in anytime you want. You're invited to everything. Last bit of squad news. Maybe the best thing that has ever been said about our podcast, and I am pulling hard on the powers of the ring here to protect the innocent and the guilty. And I am certainly protecting the innocent. I got an email from a listener who a decade ago ruined their life with gambling as a very young person. They moved to where they couldn't gamble, rebuilt their life, and stayed away from something they couldn't control. Events forced them back home, back where gambling was readily available. They thought they had matured. They thought they could handle things. They started to feel those old habits again, those old bad habits and ideas started to creep back in. They knew they needed a plan or they were going to struggle. They found and started listening to our podcast. Episode after episode, they found what they were looking for. They feel that our podcast helped them find a healthy and positive relationship with gambling and the casinos in their area. What more could a poor farm kid hope to have accomplished with the thoughts he was given? Without a doubt, the best email I've received to date. Let's do it. Let's get started. You have the battle plan. Let's do questions my sons ask. What? 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 I have three wonderful sons. They ask questions about gambling. Listeners ask questions about gambling. Strangers and close acquaintances ask questions about gambling. Today's question that I'm going to start with comes from jpert886, who wrote, TRG, quick question. What are your thoughts on cutting the deck? Where do you cut thin, middle, deep? Does it matter? My thoughts are that it doesn't matter after the first hand because people are hitting or staying, which makes the rest of the cards random. Some people at the table get really hung up on this cut is a good cut or a bad cut. Some never want to cut. Others want to cut all the time. Just curious as to what you do and what your thoughts are. So let me back up just a little bit for those who are not familiar with the ritual of blackjack. When blackjack is played... The idea is, and this is true, if you're playing a friendly poker game, usually the person who shuffles the card lets somebody else cut the cards so that the cards that are going to be played 
were in no way influenced by the shuffle. So despite the fact that in many cases the cards are shuffled by a machine now, the house generally, in the form of the dealer, offers someone at the table the opportunity to place the card somewhere in the, the stack of cards, and then the cards at the front are placed to the back, and the cards at the back are placed to the front, so the cards that will be played and unplayed are determined by the players, not by the house. Generally, if everyone declines, the house will cut, and the house will cut right in the middle, which I guess statistically is the worst possible cut for the players. I've been told that a bunch, so I'm going to believe it's true, even though I'm not sure I'm convinced. So that's the question. The question on the table, the prompt that we've been offered is, do I cut the cards? What do I think about cutting the cards? Does it matter? Does it matter where you cut? It's an excellent question. It is an excellent, excellent blackjack etiquette question. I always cut about one deck off the back of the stack of cards. Unless I'm using my super secret reverse outcome change the game cut and I cut one deck off the front. <laughs> Obviously, you can see why that is super secret and it's a reverse the outcome change the game cut. You can see why. It's obvious, I think. That's all true and that's all meaningless. Here's some hard truth. With one exception, where the cards are cut does not matter. Doesn't matter to anything. How other people play does not matter. Most other players are... Oh, I can't read what I wrote. Most other players are civilians who know nothing and don't want to learn. Our job is to interact with them as pleasantly as possible, enjoy the few who we can enjoy, get paid, and get out. And it took me over 30 years to figure that out. And I still fail and get caught up in the drama from time to time. So if you can't do that, don't feel bad. Uh, I consider myself a professional. I'm, I'm on the downhill side of 40 years doing this, over three decades. And every once in a while, I still get annoyed by civilians. Not what I was going to say. Here is, however, the one situation in which the card cut card placement can matter. And that is a hand shuffle with poor procedures. If we have a hand shuffle with a poor shuffle procedure, someone skilled might be able to, in theory, do what is called shuffle tracking. Google that if you want to understand it in detail, but the idea is to identify clumps of tens and aces that occurred, groupings of those that occurred while the cards were played. Know where they are in the stack of cards in the discard rack. Follow those clumps of cards mentally through the hand shuffle, then cut the decks such that those clumps of cards come to the front and bet big the first few hands. That is the situation in which where the cut card is placed would, in theory, matter and matter a lot. This was a big theory in the early 80s, that you should do this and you should demand to be the one who cut the cards. And I personally have doubts that many people could really pull it off even back in the day. But even more so now, the house knows. Hand shuffles are uncommon. Where they exist, the procedures protect against this very thing. They also protect, protect against edge sorting, you can Google that one too, in a pitch game, which is to say a game where the players touch the cards and can manipulate the cards. This was a big theory, as I said, in the 80s, 
which means the last time you could really do it was the late 70s before the guy wrote the book. And the casinos read the book, and so now the casinos have the machine shuffle the cards, which eliminates this as an option because you can't see the cards. It often allows more, allows more hands per hour, which is why they have the machines installed. Those two reasons. So you can't shuffle track, even if in theory you were good enough to do it. And if they do hand shuffle the cards, you watch. You will see that the procedures involve putting blocks of unshuffled cards between blocks of shuffled cards to break up clumps. You will see that multiple piles of cards are made so that if there were clumps, they're on opposite sides of the shuffling procedure. The house understands how to do this. It doesn't matter at all. For me, shuffle tracking and edge sorting... As with card counting, the entire process seems like a lot of work to beat a game that I tend to beat more often than I don't. I just don't see the point. I don't see the point at all. Bottom line, don't worry about where the cards are cut. Don't worry about other what other people think about it. If they want to cut, let them. If they want you to cut, let them. If they want to blame you, say, as the, the, the author said, I was responsible for the first hand, now I'm, I'm, I'm done. Basic strategy wager system, money management, those are the things that matter. Your emotions, the control thereof, those are the things that matter. It's an excellent question. I am so grateful that this prompt was provided, but as the author concluded, where the cut card goes doesn't matter. What other people think doesn't matter. And as I said, it was a great question. The other question that I've gotten several times recently, and that from different ways and said different ways and asking a different fashion, but it's starting bankroll size and how much is enough. It gets to that idea that if, if, you, if you have the first 10 tries, like my first 10 tries in a winning month, then you, you think it's great and you've got plenty of bankroll. And if you listen to put money aside, you're in great shape. And if you listen and think, well, TRG, this is wonderful, but you've got years and years of money set aside and you've been planning for this and you have a good job and you don't have kids to pay for. And if I lose the first couple times out, I'm really screwed. I understand that and you're right. And it doesn't happen very often. It, it doesn't happen often enough that I think I need to be super protected from it. But you've got to have a bankroll that, that can survive a couple bad things happening a couple times. And, and what number to put on that? We see a lot of variation, I guess. Early, I said to even try to go to the casino, you needed 10 times the amount of your first bet as a table buy-in and the money for three buy-ins to try to gamble once, one time. That is the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum to hold off most negative things that happen. And I find personally that the number three repeats on a regular basis in my gambling, not as a card that shows up, but is that three is that kind of tipping point between good and bad things. It's unusual for me to make three attempts and not have success on at least one attempt. Unusual, but it does happen. I have years of experience to draw on before I started talking publicly about what I do. I have years of, res of results at this point to fall back on. I have money put aside. I can handle three losses if they happen. But if you're just starting, what is a reasonable bankroll size? That's the initial thought. That's the initial question. I think you need three tries for a visit, minimum. And probably three visits minimum to prevent flat-out historic 
horrific, destructive, imploding failure before you really get started. Or you need to be comfortable with the idea that I'm going this week, month, whatever, and I've got my three tries. And between now and my next visit in a month, I'll be able to put together extra money that's another three tries if the worst possible outcome occurs. So as I said, number three is constantly repeating. I think you need three tries for a visit. And I think you need a minimum of three visits to, to be sure that, that you're going to get this thing off the ground and running. And then, as we're going to learn a little later, you need to be smart and focused and not do stupid things out of uh, some other emotions that we're going to talk about. So if you have a $10 table available, that's 10 times 10 times 3 times 3. $10 times 10 units to buy in times three tables for a visit, that's 300 times three visits, that's 900 call it $1,000. If you're starting with $25 tables, I guess I'd say $2,250 minimum, $2,250 minimum. Someone recently, recently pointed out that I started with less than that in cash to start the podcast. True and not true. I did start with somewhat less than that as a walking around bankroll that existed at the as the pandemic started and I put it in the safe. And yes, that came out of the safe as my starting point as we started this process together. But I had also put away a lot of cash during the pandemic. I had other money in my safe. That was just the envelope marked end of uh, start of casino lockdown, something like that. Something, you know, TRG's bankroll, start of lockdown. So that was set aside from other cash that was marked TRG past winnings for future losses. That was against other money that we had been putting away. That's against other money we we had going on. What else happened during the pandemic? My expenses went way down. I had money in other bank accounts. As I said, I had some previous winnings set aside in an account so I could pull money while traveling if needed. I had some of that laid out. And I'm not vague, I'm not being vague about my starting point to hide anything. I was vague about my starting point because from my point of view of 30 years of experience and a decade of success with a real company and a real cash flow, I would have just not worried if the starting money had all been lost in a couple of bad trips. I was fortunate enough that if it had happened and I had taken a couple of bad losses early, I'd have been embarrassed to do a podcast and tell you I knew how to do this and tell you I'd lost, but I'd also just told you I reloaded from money that I had available. And I 100% understand that is not true for everyone. I understand how internally terrifying it would be to put a large amount of money together and then have roughly one-third of it be gone in the very first attempt. I get it. I understand it. I can... I can put myself in that place. I get that it adds mental stress and pressure. And maybe that means what I do isn't for everyone. Or maybe that means that if you're just starting, you need to start a little slower and whatever slower means. But I'll stand by the idea that three table buy-ins are enough to try once and that having enough to try three times should put you on a path to being successful, successful at winning the game of casino gambling, depending on casino availability, right? I might advise you to take those three tries and break them up across over a week. Walk, walk in, have the whole three tries with you. You might get a weird double split if blackjack is your choice, if Bach is your choice, if don't pass craps is your choice. If those are your choices, not blackjack, great choices, by the way. 
TRG4, TRG2, uh, always be grinding, win more, keep more. They'll work just fine on any of those wagers. So if you're going to go and you're going to do don't pass craps on bubble craps, then take one try and try and record your losses, win or loss. And then a couple days later, if it's easy to get to a casino, go back and try again with one try. And then a few days later, go do it again. Break up three tries across multiple days. Nothing wrong with that. Buy in, get a small win or a small loss. Gosh, where have I, had, where have I said that before? And leave for the day. Enjoy the win or get used to understanding how you feel when you lose. Realize that you still have multiple additional tries. Your bankroll is still intact if that happens. And you probably didn't lose all of it if you listened to me and walked away with some of your bankroll. You're in good shape. As I said, try again a few days later. See where you end up after breaking those nine individual tries. Three tries for a day in the hypothetical three days tries. Break that up and see where you end up. I hope that helps. I'm sorry if that feels vague. What I can offer is this. Everyone that has asked for my help in sorting out a bankroll and a casino action plan has, to the best of my knowledge, gotten my help sorting out that information in a way that makes sense to them. If you would like my help on that specific topic, just send me an email and I'm happy to work through it with you. Okay, one final question. It just came in, just came in before I started doing this, decided to kind of copy and paste it in here. And it says, TRG, forgive me if you are asked this question all the time. I have listened to most of your podcasts and videos and have not seen this topic mentioned anywhere. My question is, what are your thoughts on video poker? Some games have a very low house edge if you follow the strategy perfectly and you are able to determine exactly how many tier credits you can earn when playing unlike with craps and blackjack at the tables. Casinos seem to value their video poker players more so than machine blackjack and bubble craps when it comes to comps. So it would seem to check off all the boxes. So, really curious to know your opinion. If it's a game worth mastering. Thank you. Eric E. Now, Eric E. asks us a great question, and I'd call him E-squared, but we already have E-squared. We have Equine Ensign, E-squared, our inner circle member. And so I, I, wrote, I wrote Eric E. back, and I said, I like a, video vi a bit of video poker here and there. As you noted, there are some machines that played correctly actually have a slight player advantage, and that's true. It was just a lot more true years ago. Sorry, I digress. Those machines, are, I, I even said it here. Wow, I echoed my own thoughts. <laughs> Those machines are harder and harder to find in my experience, but even basic jacks or better poker played on a machine is a low house advantage game. As a result, the places I play give almost no tier credits for video poker play. I can sit and play $1.25 max bet for 20 or 30 minutes and maybe get just one or two tier credits. That said, what I'm hearing from people all over and what I'm seeing is lots of variety in how various casinos handle machines other than slot machines as it relates to tier credits. At my local casino, Bubble Craps and Video Blackjack earn tier credits much like the same games in traditional table form, which is to say at a higher rate than video poker. But at the Caesars Properties in Atlantic City, the same games earn exactly zero tier credits regardless of how much you wager. 
in an environment like that, video poker is a better choice, low house advantage, and tier credits. It is. A smart player, I am finding, needs to evaluate how the place they are playing handles tier credits for a variety of games. If video poker is handing out tier credits like it's a slot machine, that's undoubtedly the best game in the house, no question. If it's handing out a small amount of tier credits and other machine games are not, excluding slot machines, especially if blackjack tables with reasonable table limits are not available, it may be the best choice. Thanks for the great prompt. Thanks for listening. It's always great to hear from you. TRG. And this isn't, uh, I'm going to come back and put some emphasis on my own written word there. This is an excellent kind of addendum to what we've been seeing. Right, I, I copied, uh, actually blind copied Inner Circle member VCPD on this email because it's not something we had considered for his home casino that he's finding some barriers in. He's finding some difficulties in the way their games are structured and in terms of what's available. So suppose the only things you had were $50 box that wasn't open very often. This isn't exactly his casino. I'm paraphrasing and freestyling here. But suppose the only thing that's available is $50 box around. It's almost never open. Uh, the the shoot-to-win craps tables where only one person gets to throw, and those tables are always full, and the, the blackjack that's usually available is $25 or $50. Bucks. You don't have a lot of great options. If video poker is going to generate tier credits at at least a reasonable rate, and if the video poker pay charts are good pay charts, video poker may be an excellent choice. Now, I use it mostly to get comped drinks in Atlantic City and Las Vegas, to kill a little time here or there, to play a hand, make a phone call, send a text, play another hand. But if you can find good pay charts, and now you're saying, well, TRG, what are good pay charts? And now I'm going to direct you right back to Google. I am not enough of an expert to do pay charts off the top of my head. But what I do know is this. There was a time where there were very common machines with very common pay charts, and you could push a button and look at the chart, and if the right numbers were in the top right-hand corner, you had a beatable game. You had a game that if you played it with basic strategy for that video poker game, which often meant doing unintuitive things, you actually had a very small house advantage, or you had very small advantage over the house over the long run. Unlike blackjack, you actually had an advantage as long as you made all the correct plays and you had a very, very deep bankroll. The house figured that out after the players figured it out, and those machines are really hard to find. I don't look for them much, because I've been told over and over they're very hard to find. They almost don't exist. Oh, there are three of them in Reno, and there's one of them out on the one casino on the Boulder Strip that has a block of eight of them in high limit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a game, a situation where the house found out after the players, the house ended the thing that the players really liked. But you can look at pay charts and you can look at basic strategy charts online and you can still find video poker games that have a very low house advantage. As low or lower than what you would find with Baccarat or Don't Pass on the Craps Line or Blackjack. And that may, in fact, if the tier credits are awarded going along with it in a reasonable way, that may very well be a great choice for some of you. So I am so glad that Eric E. sent me this. I am so glad he prompted me with this. It was an excellent question. I certainly hope that was useful and informative to some of you. Our new segment is next, 
and I'm going to be saying some mean things. That's really, 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 really not nice. TRG saying mean things is not a segment I would have ever initially planned on doing. But some things need to be said. And first up on my list of targets today is my state's problem gambling board, group, hotline, what, whatever you want to call it. These folks are funded by the casino because both the casino and the state recognize that when you introduce casino gambling, there are going to be some people who can't handle gambling and need help. Now, everyone says, we take our responsibilities very seriously. I mean, that's what they always say. I mean, our car, our train car tipped over and poisoned a whole town. We take our cleanup responsibilities very seriously. An executive sexually harasses someone. And what's the first thing the company department, company PR department says? We take our responsibility to prevent sexual harassment very seriously. Well, I take my responsibility for promoting responsible gambling very seriously. And sometimes I use humor to accomplish that. But I do take my responsibility as someone talking about gambling very, very, very seriously. I hope the humor puts the focus on that instead of having it blend into the background. So every six months or so, they set up a table on the, the, in the hallway between the parking garage and the casino to let people know that there is help available if you have a gambling problem. And every six months, I walk up to the table... I introduce myself, I give them a business card, I explain that I do a podcast about casinos and gambling, and that I would love to have, if someone would like to call or email, I would love to do a phone interview and share what this group knows, what this group's expertise is to make sure my listeners have knowledge and resources about what to look for that might indicate they have a gambling problem. And they always say, oh, thank you. And I never hear from them. Even gone so far as to email them. And I never hear from them. I've asked them four different times in person to just give me a few minutes with someone on the phone so an expert can talk to us about the signs of problem gambling and how someone could get help. And four times I've been ignored. I've emailed another two or three times and I've been ignored. And maybe that means I'm just going to spam. Who knows? But someone doesn't take their responsibility seriously from my point of view. I'm going to try to put together a segment on this topic in the near future, since I do take my responsibilities very seriously. Jokes and bits aside, if you ever feel like you cannot walk into a casino and not gamble, if you ever feel like you cannot walk away from a table with a few units of your buy-in left, if you feel that you don't have the control to implement the Casino Combat Arsenal, send an email to help at casinocombat.com and we will do everything we can to get you a professional to help you work through that. And if I have to call them multiple times, I will. And if I have to walk in somewhere in person and wait till they reach out to you, I will. I do take this responsibility very seriously. Pause. Deep breath. Okay. On to some real mean things that I need to be saying. And I need to be saying those mean things about a book called How to Make $100,000 a Year Gambling for a Living. And the subtitle is Legal Gambling Has Rapidly Spread Through the U.S. 
Now two renowned professional gamblers and writers show you which games are beatable and exactly, emphasis mine, how to beat them, even as a lucrative full-time job. They are renowned authors. I am not going to name them. I'm not even going to open that can of worms. Not going to go there. They each have an open invitation anytime to do an interview with me and rebut what I'm about to say. These are famous authors. They have all famous within the gambling world. They have written books that I've read. They've won awards. They've made money gambling. I will even go so far as this. If they would like to do the interview in person, I will travel to them. I will bring the equipment and we will have the conversation and I will not edit it and I will put it out to all of you so they can hear you, hear them give their point of view on this. But I'm not going to name names. You can find gambling for a living, all kinds of places, don't need to tell you where. In fact, I was shopping online and this book was put, put up as something I might be interested. Clearly from the title, this is a book well worth the $19.95 asking price. A book I had to own and read when I saw it. These guys have written, as I said, tons of gambling books. They are experts. They are professional gamblers in every sense of the word. I give away what I know for free. These are famous dudes. They get to charge for their books. I give mine away for free. So I get the book. I read about the first author. He's available for speaking engagements. He charges a fee. I'm in. I got to hear what this guy has to say. Excellent. I read about the next guy. Even more impressive. He has a publishing company. Millions of books sold. 46 books in print. Long list of accomplishments. I've read some of his books. I read the introduction. Gambling is everywhere. Games can be beaten. They're going to tell us how. We're going to make $100,000 a year. People don't believe them, but they know how to win. I'm all in. This book is great. I'm only in at the introduction and already in my brain, I'm making a list of people I want to send a copy of this book to. I'm going to send it to VCPD. I'm going to send it to Equine Ensign. I'm going to send it to East Coast Emissary. I might even send two copies so Atlantic City Empress gets her own copy. These guys are great. I got This is just wonderful in the introduction. I'm in. These guys get it. They understand. This is an amazing book, right? I'm on page four. Chapter one, Blackjack, here we go. Thorpe, basic strategy, yes, okay. The game can be beaten, but it takes work. It's not easy. Yes and yes, let's go, let's do this. What follows after that is simplistic garbage. Page after page of half-assed basic strategy, some of it wrong, and that is followed by a very basic explanation of card counting. Like if we were three drinks in, four drinks in, and I was going to explain it to you at the bar in a very basic format while knowing you don't really care about the answer. That's the level of card counting they give out. Junk. Barely enough, they, you barely get enough information to go use Google and learn how to teach yourself for real. Barely. 
I'm not sure some people could read those chapters and then even know what to look for. And my goodness, I help me if anybody reads that and believes that they can go out and do card counting they're in for a rude awakening but this is followed in the next chapter by a bit of math about the bankroll needed to be a card counter but again very very basic it's all done as if you could actually bet one dollar it kind of glosses over the real-world table limits and the fact that you need multiple tens of thousands of dollars to try to just scratch out a pathetic living, not a hundred thousand, a pathetic living at the lowest level tables available in the United States. Doing the math as if one dollar tables are available is doing the math as if you're gambling in 1975, which quite frankly is probably where their information is based on. The next part is a tiny bit about how not to get caught and what to do if you get caught. Not enough of information there once again barely enough to figure out that you need to read three more books to be half good at it you're probably still going to get caught then a bit about the part where you need to never play see this is the part they gloss over right you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year but they kind of just quickly touch on the fact that you're going to need to never play the same place the same shift more than once every few weeks so i would have to go to my local casino without being a known gambler gamble once every few weeks on the graveyard shift then wait a few weeks and go back once on the day shift and then go back once and gamble on whatever the other shift is and that's that's still too much from their point of view okay never the same place same shift more than once every few weeks you can do that on the vegas strip pretty easily you do it maybe in atlantic city less easily then some information about how you need to not let them know who you are and then they explain how you really need to travel the entire country on a regular basis. So we start out on the cover of the book saying that casinos are everywhere and you can make a full-time living. But then the first game they tell you how to beat, allegedly, I'd rebut that, but after they tell you that you can make a living doing it because it's all over the country, they then tell you you need to be all over the country to do it. And fund the travel off, I guess, the 100000 you're just winning so easily, being a card counter. Then we get to team play. And the theory here is that they've shown you a generic, half-complete, basic strategy, then sort of described a bad counting system, and some basic don't-get-caught moves, and now you're ready to put together a team, a la the movie 21. And you're ready now to put together this team and take down the house, like those really smart kids from, what is Harvard, Yale, I forget. Real smart kids, Ivy League school, really smart math professor, and you've now read 35 pages of their book, which is generic and half-assed, and you're ready to put together a team, and they're going to teach you how to do team play, and they're going to teach it the same half-assed way they taught you everything else. Finally, they describe the other ways to beat blackjack. This is 20-year-old advice that was garbage advice then, in my opinion, rarely useful 20 years ago, certainly not usable today. They're talking about reading dealer tells so the, the expression on their face when they see they have a blackjack tracking aces shuffle tracking i mentioned that and blew up the idea in the question segment as you might recall and i didn't charge you 1995 to learn about shuffle tracking and they didn't after they charged you the 99 1995 they didn't even tell you why it doesn't work anymore they talked about playing the warp this is a technique where the cards get 
spent because the casino peaks on the tens and aces. So the, the ten and ace cards get bent, and you can sometimes double or take an extra card because you see the card is warped. Garbage, garbage, garbage. Hasn't worked in decades. They talk about spooking and first basing and front loading. And as I said, it was all sketchy, barely doable junk in 1989 and 1990 because the house had already read all the same books that these guys undoubtedly read before they wrote this one and presented it as, and they present it as if it's all something you could do today and do consistently and win. I don't know any casino, and you know I've been in and out of a fair share of casinos in the last three years. I don't know any casino that I've been in where you can do any of this stuff with any reliability. Maybe once a year, I get a dealer that's a little lazy with protecting their hole card as it comes out, and if I sit at first base, I might once every five, six, seven hands, get a little look. That's true. The rest of it's complete garbage in the modern world, but I'm telling you what, unless you are prepared when you catch that dealer doing that to suddenly start betting thousands and thousands of dollars a hand, you are not making $100,000 a year whole carding a dealer anywhere I've been. Now, if you're in North Dakota and you know that Joey Bones, who's been dealing blackjack for 60 years and who's now in his 80s and who deals three shifts every week on Thursday afternoon when they're busy, lets you hole card him? Well, you've got an exploitable game and good for you. I'm not saying you can't find somewhere in the world, somewhere in North America, a lazy dealer in the Caribbean, whatever, but minus those situations... You're not making money with any of the stuff they gave you about other ways to beat blackjack. They conclude by saying that with card counting, blackjack is beatable. It takes a lot of work. Very few people can do it. It's hard work. You have to be dedicated. You have to study, etc. In other words, they've barely given you an outline of how to learn to become a card counter, and you are not likely to make 100K with that information in my non-professional opinion. See, I don't get to have a professional opinion. I get to be a professional gambler, but I don't get to have a professional opinion because I don't charge you for my opinion. Next is sports betting, a subject I'm interested in. I can certainly learn from these experts. I'm, I'm bought in. Let's go. And the authors present how a line works. Okay, great. How experts find lines that are off. But again, it's generic. It's the theory of the types of things an expert might look for. Not a list of things that experts look for and how to apply them. It's not anything you could actually use other than to try to figure out how to learn what they're telling you the experts know. They're not making you an expert or even really getting you started in the process. Then we get information about various kinds of sports and about various kinds of sports bets, money lines, totals, parlays, and the conclusion that if you are a sports expert and learn a lot, and study a lot, and are really, really smart, beating sports bets is possible. Well, thanks for nothing. Honestly, I think I did as good or better a job of presenting the concepts in the free virtual VIP lounge session that I did. 
Next, we have horse racing. And honestly, now I'm seeing a pattern for the rest of the book. A bit about how horse racing works. Some very basic information about how to pick a horse and a wager to make. Some information about on-track and off-track betting. And a conclusion that if you have all the right information and knowledge, you can make money betting horses. Now, honestly, I know almost nothing about horse racing and betting on horse racing. And I could have written a better chapter with what I know, the limited amount I know, and chat GPT. I guarantee you, I could just take what I know, none of the stuff from their book, fire up chat GPT, chat GPT, and write a better, more informative, more useful bit of information. I mean, thank you very much. I mean, this is like me telling you, hey, if you're really knowledgeable about skydiving and skydivers and know all the skydivers and know the wind conditions and the weather and where they'll be jumping, you can predict who will land first. Well, okay, but you didn't tell me, you told me it could be done if I knew all those things, but you didn't tell me what I needed to know about them. You didn't tell me how to apply it. You just told me that if I got really good at it, I could do it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. At this point, I'm really disappointed and kind of pissed off, but I'm reading the book more quickly than I'm telling you about this because I'm skipping what I knew and skipping what I could see was simplistic and useless. Each chapter's a minute or two because I'm just going through it going garbage, 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 garbage. Let me read that again. Nope, that is garbage. Next topic, slots and video poker. The slot advice is ancient and involves waiting until a certain Nevada statewide progressive reaches a huge payout amount and then pumping money through multiple machines as fast as possible since the payout amount is larger than the odds of winning. Does the math work here? Yes. It's like when the lottery is going to pay out $3 billion and the odds of winning are 1 in 2 billion. Yes, that's a good bet. Yes, you could bet $1 at 2 billion to 1 odds and win more than 2 billion. But you're also probably going to lose $1. The math there isn't wrong, but again, this is old information and information that if it was correct, could really not be used outside Nevada. The game doesn't exist anymore. Or I should say, it doesn't exist anymore to my knowledge. Maybe someone will tell me it is out there and then we got a thing we can rely on. In all of those casinos they mention all over the country that they tell you about on the front of the book where you're going to make 100 k a year as a gambler, those machines don't exist. Or at least I've never found them. I read the name of the machine and I went, yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Again, advice I read 30 years ago. Video poker, again, and we talked video poker a minute ago, they are factually accurate. Back in the day, there were lots of video poker machines with a small player advantage in the payout table if you knew the correct strategy. Yes, if you knew how to play and played those machines over time, you had a small house advantage. Honestly, it's still true if you can find those very few machines as we talked about. Guess what? As I said earlier, you don't find those machines anymore. And it's because casino management read the same books that I read in 1987, and they just don't provide the game. Video poker exists in many forms with many payout tables. Some of them get the house advantage down to a very small number when played consistently. I suspect over long runs of time, a handful of machines can be beaten consistently. But I would expect big swings as large losses mount up until a royal appears to give you a very small profit. Again, the information is old, it's incomplete, and useless to most of the people trying to make money as a professional gambler. From here, we move on to games you usually can't beat, according to the authors. They explain that you can't beat roulette unless you find a warped wheel. 
then it's beatable. They don't tell you what a warped wheel is, how to find it, why it's difficult to find, any of that. Craps, Baccarat, those can't be beaten. Everyone knows that, so they don't spend any time talking about that. We move on to poker, a very beatable game. You will learn more about how to beat it doing a poker search on YouTube than you will from this book. They explain to you that you can beat poker if you're smarter than other people and know all the ways and you can read their eyes and you can do... Yeah, really? I think most people could kind of lay that out in brief form for us. Finally, we get down to the rest of the book. Winning poker tournaments, using coupons for a small advantage, playing slot tournaments. Does anyone think they're going to make 100 k a year on coupons and slot tournaments? I'd be embarrassed even to suggest that to you. I'd be ashamed to suggest to you that you can win hundreds of thousands of dollars because you have coupons that get you a small advantage. They certainly help me. They're certainly part of the process. But if I'm making money for a month, I'm not making it from the coupons. That's just not happening. We conclude the book with the warning that you probably need 50K to even try to win 100K a year. And if you're not an expert and very skilled, you're just going to lose the 50K. In conclusion, very well known, very mathematically gifted men with a long history of gambling success repeated a generic version of old information and claimed you could use it to make a decent living. It's junk. It's garbage. It's embarrassing that they put their name on it. At best, they have outlined all the stuff you need to learn on your own to even attempt one of the techniques they discuss. Frankly, I was going to send the book back and get a refund. I could have done that. I decided to keep it and do a segment. I'm going to get my value out of it. I don't own a publishing company. I do not have 46 books in print. I have no gambling resume to lean on other than what I have shared with you right here. But I taught you more about how to beat the game of casino gambling in the first 22 episodes of this podcast for free than these clowns teach you in an entire book. I didn't charge you for it. And on top of that, I teach about the real world, not old men's nostalgic fantasies about a land that no longer exists. How to make 100k a year gambling for a year is junk, a complete waste of money and garbage to be avoided. The authors are welcome to debate any time and within reason anywhere. Sorry, sometimes mean things need saying. All right, now let's do the results segment. Some parts of me would rather skip that, but let's do that, and that's probably very good for me. Here we go. So let me set the stage here just a little bit. It's the start of a new month. It's start of April 2023. We're getting ready to go on vacation right after Easter, so we've got just a a little bit of run up to the to the holiday and then we're on a plane and we're headed out to Vegas. And day 1 of a new month for whatever reason always makes me a bit nervous. I'm looking at all zeros in the app. It's you know, it's like sales. It's it's like running your own business, right? You can run a business for years and years and years and years and years. You can have great month after great month after great month. You can have great personal income, great personal income. Everything's great and it still doesn't change the fact that on the first day of the new month, you've got to go out and produce again. You've got to go out and sell again. You've got to go out and perform again. The business has got to pay its bills. The business has got to pay its employees. And that's what we look at on day one. So I start off, good start, solid one day's pay win, feeling good. Here we go. Next two days are both tier three losses, back to back. And the second one was stupid. It was absolutely stupid. I had one day one. I'm still negative for the month for the previous day. 
And instead of just wrapping it up that way and going on vacation, I try to fix that and in the process end up at a tier three loss again. So that's the second loss, but there was no reason to take that loss. I pushed to try to go into the vacation positive, not negative. It didn't work and it was dumb. Now I had several days off from my casino job. As we got ready for for the holiday, as we got ready for vacation, you can imagine how that's going, right? You're getting ready to have the kids and the grandkids over. You're getting the house ready. You're getting the food ready. You're also getting all your laundry done because you're getting ready to go on vacation. You're getting bags packed. You're making those last few uh, minor adjustments to your travel schedule. You're double-checking everything. You're confirming you have all your paperwork and confirmation numbers and that all the right apps are loaded and have all the right barcodes and QRL codes and just all those things that go in. And with a whole week of vacation and gambling, there was no real reason for me to try to squeeze in small time roll sessions at my local casino. And at the same time, having taken back-to-back losses, I'm pulling money out of the real safe and putting it in the sky safe in case I need it on the road, put some additional money in my vest because, of course, money had come out of the vest in significant amounts with back-to-back losses. And there we go, and we're we're off to the races. And I'll give you the, the trip rundown in a minute in terms of the experiences and and the vacation and impressions of Las Vegas, sense of how things have changed since the last time I was there, goals and things we tried to accomplish besides just having fun. I'm going to give you all of that when we do a travel segment, but I just want to focus on the gambling, and I am going to kind of quickly go day by day here because there's some things I think you need to hear, not only about the results, but about how we got the results. Let's say it that way. The first night, we you know we get there we we get to the hotel we check in it's a hotel we've not spent a lot of time in historically when it was monte monte carlo it was monte carlo it was kind of meh it's kind of average in all ways now it's park mgm first time we've ever stayed at park mgm and the gambling starts rough and then we didn't like where we were gambling and we basically just ran We don't know a lot about that part of the strip in its modern formation, if you will. And we just ended up running down to Circa, had a nice comeback, actually had a small win for the day, about a day's pay, and we had a tremendously fun night. I don't want to downplay the fact that it was a lot of fun and that we won a little money. Now, day two, Mrs. TRG was going to get ready for brunch, going to sleep in a little bit, you know, change time zones. And change time zones, right? I'm up early by Vegas standards, late by my home standard because they're three hours different. And so I decide I'm going to go down and play a little bit, get some points on the board in terms of tier credits, do all that stuff, see what the casino looks like in the morning while she's getting done and getting ready for brunch. And I do see what the Park MGM looks like in the morning. And the Park MGM in the morning, at least during a weekday, at least when I was there, is a horrible place to play blackjack. $10 6 to 5 table, $15 6 to 5, I think it was free bet, and high limit. That's it. That's That's what I'm working with as I've got a couple hours probably before brunch. And so I decided that uh, if the only three to two tables were high limit tables, that I could just handle that. Right, been winning plenty. I'll just skip any of the Meta Martingale stuff. I'll just skip any of the up and down stuff. I'll just let the normal chop that happens when you're not moving up and down tiers in the Meta Martingale. I'll just play TRG4 and and I'll play it at $100 tables and I'll take some losses and I'll take some wins and that'll be fine because I mean, I've been winning tons of money and I got my clock cleaned. Two buy-ins, 
two negative exits, less than one shoe. And then just to add a little extra pain on there, the final hand was a split and a double, all lost. Youch. Yikes. Right? Back-to-back tier three losses before I left. One of them I shouldn't have taken. Loss and then a recovery on the first night, but not nearly enough. And then I add boom, boom, two, basically tier three negative exits, although I was just playing at a $100 table and it is what it is. And so as we explored that day at various places, I recovered some of that as we explored. And I'll tell you about that exploration in the next segment. And then after that little bit of recovery, I basically played even from there for the rest of the day. So a big loss for the day. Day three was amazing from a gambling point of view. I had a nice long work session in the afternoon while Mrs. TRG was doing some other things. And I just kept rotating through a single $25 three to two table that they had open. That they had not had open the night before, as a matter of fact. So now I'm once again learning a little bit about Park MGM. But I was able to just sit there and basically do Meta Martingale pass after Meta Martingale pass, tell them to mark my seat, take a walk, go to the men's room, record my results, come back and do it all again. And each time I'd complete that process, I'd pull out a day's pay or more. I won back everything from the previous day. Covered most of the loss from before we left. Really proud of myself. Really, really proud of myself. In one afternoon, I had fixed the month and started paying for the expenses of the trip. And honestly, that's where it went off the rails. I talk a lot about controlling negative emotions. I spent a lot of time learning how to do that, learning how to control those negative emotions, that greed that I've got to get my money back, that envy that someone else is winning and I'm not. But I'm very recently learning that I'm now dealing with new negative emotions, ones I've never run into very much before. The negative emotions, and you're going to find this hard to believe, but it's turning out at least for me to be true. The negative emotions that come from winning. Yes, negative emotions from winning are what I ended up with. That's what got me in trouble. Pride and arrogance. Feeling unbeatable. I'm not doing a good job of staying humble in my skills. Now, I didn't go full-on Phil from... uh, hangover flipping off the camera saying he can't lose he can't lose but I've got to learn to win consistently and still control that that sense of I can do this anytime I want it is scary easy to feel that way and I've got to learn to to recognize that feeling in myself and realize it's just the same as greed it's just another emotion to be put in inside that container of the arsenal it's just, it's a thing I'm working through and it's probably an experience not a lot of people have had, right? I mean, we know that you can't beat any of these games. I mean, we know that that's how they build these great big buildings. So to think that just because I did it for over a year, I can keep doing it. That's ridiculous. It it just can't happen. I'm being sarcastic and maybe not in a good way. The reality is when I look at myself and look at what I've done and look at what I've won, over 12-month winning streak, won a lot of money, put a lot of money aside, paid for things family needed. You know, you want to say, oh, it's okay, go on vacation, just enjoy a bit, just let loose a bit. You you want to rationalize you. I don't know anything about you. I, my brain wants to rationalize it and say, it's okay. Just let go of those constraints. Don't, don't worry about it. And that part of me, I think, is really wrong for me. If I want to do that, if I want to just 
cut loose, drink like crazy, do stupid stuff, ignore my exit points. I should be playing $5 blackjack at OYO, where there is cheap blackjack available. Not the hands I played the rest of the trip on the strip. I really got caught up in those feelings of being indestructible, and I need to learn to control those. Day three was transition day to move forward. Lots of tourist stuff most of the day. We did some gambling in the evening at the link. We were staying at Flamingo at this point. We moved from Park MGM to Flamingo. You'll hear more about that move. And we just, having gotten cleaned up from a whole day of sightseeing, we just wanted to grab a little food, which, boy, you will hear about. And we wanted to sit down and play some cards and spend some time together and have a cocktail. And we just went ahead and settled for a, a, a $25 six to five table. And I know, I know. But hey, I just won a bunch of money yesterday, right? So I can handle six to five. I can I can uh, just ignore the fact that I'm frustrated because I can't find the tables I want. I can't. The reality is we were tired from a day of sightseeing. We couldn't find any decent tables and we just decided to go ahead and play. And we lost. And I went up a tier and lost some more. And Mrs. TRD, TRG decided she didn't feel 100%. And that, you know, at about 10 o'clock, she just decided she was going to call it a night and we were going to start fresh the next day. Made perfect sense. Walked her upstairs, made sure she had everything she needed, kissed her goodnight. I decided that I was going to play three to two free bet blackjack at $50 a hand in the Flamingo High Limit Room since it was still kind of early. It's only 10 o'clock, right? Good and bad decision. Keep in mind, I've already lost a tier one buy-in and a tier two buy-in to start the evening. So at the $50 table, I do a tier three buy-in, and after winning a few hands, I drop back to tier two. I drop back to that $50 point. And if I lost six or eight units at that tier two, I just go back to tier three and play bigger hands, because this is free bet blackjack. Big splits and doubles that I lose don't hurt me because the house puts up all that money. Big splits and doubles that I win are almost no risk to my buy-in amount, my bankroll amount, and they often bring me back from the brink of failure and let me reset to tier two. It's kind of a neat thing about free bet blackjack when I can find it at three to two. I, I do like that part. I'll take the little bit of extra house advantage. I'll give, I shouldn't say take, I'll give the house a little extra advantage because they take out a lot of the risk of splits and doubles not going my way. And I'm playing for hours and it's well past midnight and my logic is... <clears throat> My logic is that I'm getting a lot of tier credits. The casino day doesn't end till 5 a.m. And if I'm playing even for the table, why not keep cranking out tier credits? Because Caesars, as you hit certain milestones, as you hit 125 tier credits for the day, then they give you, I forget, 25 or 50. They keep, as you earn more, they keep giving you more and more tier credits. And I'm thinking, okay, why not build that up? Why not build up my average daily theoretical? Why not use this alone time to build all those numbers up since I'm playing bigger money? And by 2 a.m., Mrs. TRG is blowing up my phone. Why am I not back at the room? What am I doing? Am I okay? Very reasonable things for a wife to think. And I'm trying to text her and say, I'm fine. I'm trying to, in the, the message is trying to explain the tier credit thing. And what's the problem with this? What's the problem with what I'm doing? There is some sound thinking here. There is. You know, the, the idea that if I'm playing even, I'm playing at a higher level, that all makes sense from a points point of view. But the only exit I really have in mind are 5 a.m. and losing the original buy-in. That's because I just keep recycling the same money. 
I get up maybe enough to cover the losses from earlier at the link, and I drop down to tier two, and I lose it back. And I go to tier three and win enough to drop to tier two, and I lose and I repeat. And as I said, from a tier credit point of view, that makes a lot of drunken sense. But it's really a combination of having fun and being sure I can win when I decide I finally want to, and I couldn't. Ultimately, well before 5 a.m., it falls apart. I don't manage to, to cover things. And while I had multiple times where I could have just walked away and basically been even for the evening, instead I have a tier three failure and I call it a night. And I have to explain things to my wife again in the morning. Day four started with settling for some poor tables and we finished up at Circa. And we won some money at Circa that, that uh, we won some money back. Not enough to get even, but yeah, I think we finished the day even if I look at, let me look. Uh, finished the day even after some poor table selection in the at the start of the day. Did fine at Circa. It kind of a net zero. Day five. I got blown up early. I got blown up again after a show. And then had small recovery while Mrs. TRG had an amazing win. Biggest win she's ever had. Exceeded her previous win. Biggest win by about 30 or 40%. She was very happy. In fact, it was her kind of going on that streak that got me back into the game and managed to recover part of what I had lost. And I can't wait to share that story with you in the virtual VIP lounge where it belongs. It's, it's a fun story of a fun evening of gambling in the end. But I had a losing day that could have been worse, but Mrs. TRG gave me her winnings to keep me going. And that doesn't happen very often, and that's very fair. Because I often fund her losses, and I appreciate her seeing our gambling for what it is, our gambling, and helping to balance the books. She did. She made sure her bankroll was right, and then she pulled off everything else and handed it to me. And, and, and that does show that we're doing a lot of things well as a couple and managing things well, and I'm happy about that. All that said, and as fun as it was, I did a lot of arrogant, stupid stuff. In fact, I think at one point in the day, I decided... Oh, that's right. We were actually at Mirage playing bubble craps, and I just decided bubble craps has been going so well that I'm just going to double my unit size. <laughs> that is arrogant, stupid stuff. And here's why. I'll get back to that thought in a minute. I'm kind of off my notes here. But deciding in the cold light of day, sitting in my office, completely sober at the start of a month that I'm going to double my unit size on bubble craps, that's some pretty solid thinking. But deciding after a day of, of Roman Vegas and having some drinks with dinner and having some drinks with a listener and, and all of that in basically the middle of the month to just double the unit size because it's been going well on bubble craps, that's just arrogance. That's just stupid. It's just like playing at a table with good rules and low limits as if it was a high limit table because that was going to fix stupid from the previous day. Arrogant and stupid doesn't fix stupid, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I kind of was in the middle of it. Day six was our last day. We tried to go out with the great crazy last night. We had already had a one crazy night I'm going to tell you about. We tried to make it happen. We tried to, to, to have that crazy last night in Vegas. We gambled way too much at a table with horrible rules where we were staying because we just wanted to wrap up where we were. We'd gone to a concert. We came back to our hotel. We came back knowing the rules were stupid. We came back knowing we wanted to play. And rather than either A, 
packing it in, or B, just spending the money to go like to Circa with better rules, or to uh, New York, New York, where we knew there were better rules. We didn't. We came home, as I had said, in the opening of the episode, having lost about seven days' pay for the first two weeks of the month. That's with Mrs. TRG's biggest win ever. She came home a winner. I did not. My loss was bigger than the seven days. We also spent a bunch. We spent as if we'd been winning for months and months and months, which was true. <laughs> but when you have the loss and then you have the fact that we spent a bunch, it's... Uh, it's going to be a rough two weeks to try to recover this. And I may have spoken that into existence, which I am considering and pondering as I look back over past scripts. But this is going to be, as I said, a tough start to recover from. I wonder if I, as I kept saying in previous wins, and who knows, April may be bad. Who knows, April may be bad. Maybe I made April bad just by saying maybe April's bad. So let me start right away and say, I think May is going to be great and June is going to be amazing. Let me start programming myself with that. All right, uh, <laughs> let's have some fun. That beat was sick. Let's spin the tires until they stick. Travel is next. One of the core concepts of Casino Combat is to have and use a player's card. That lets us recover money lost some months with comps and gifts. It lets us live a casino lifestyle where casinos from one end of North America to another are our country club and a country club that generally speaking pays us to be members. It's such a short little part of the core concepts. It's such a tiny little bit of things that I think I sometimes don't talk about it enough or it's been easy in this later part of the podcast to to skip over the fact that I'm constantly picking up blenders and handbags and suitcases and you know it's 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 easy to forget that family comes to my house and replaces all their old pots and pans and gets whole new kitchens out of our closet from stuff that we were given it's easy to forget that uh, or it's easy for me to gloss over, not forget, I guess. I'm aware of it. I'm managing it all the time, but I, I think I sometimes don't share all of that with you enough. So I thought this Vegas trip, as horrible as the gambling results were, I thought this Vegas trip would be a good time to revisit the, the extreme casinoing, the extreme couponing aspect of this, to look at some of the ways that we've benefited just from status we'd earned previously, just from gambling we'd done previously. In many ways, it's almost as if when I was in Vegas the last time for the tournament and when I was in Vegas the time before that for the artiste's birthday that I was putting money, in air quotes, I was putting value away for future use. It was there for when we wanted. So I wanted to talk about our Vegas trip through that lens. The story about the story to get to the segment. Mrs. TRG, this is her last year as a teacher. She is very close to retirement. And she wanted to take a spring break trip. Her last spring break she's ever going to have, as far as we know. And she wanted to take spring break and she wanted to go somewhere warm. Warm places in the winter cost a lot of money. And honestly, I find them generally boring. And maybe I need to get educated and understand that warm places that there are warm places I would find fun. We may need to work on that a little bit. But regardless, Vegas was a fun and easy choice for us to make as a couple. Again, because we knew we had value sitting there waiting for us. We knew that large parts of the vacation would not would be things we would not have to pay for or we would pay a discounted price. 
So it was a very easy choice to make. Mrs. TRG told me the dates that she wanted to go. I booked the airfare. I went in the MGM app, Casino Wisdom number 74. If there is an app, get the app. I go in the app and I book a comped room. No resort fees. Just as simple as that. Don't have to call anybody. Don't have to ask anybody. And then I went into the Caesars app because MGM was only going to cover three nights. So I go into the Caesars app at Casino Wisdom number 74 again. And I looked at rooms available. And I didn't book anything. And here's why. The Caesars app is very straightforward. This is who I am. This is what you'll comp me. This is what I'll select. But the website is different. The website allows you to put in the rewards membership number of a person that's going to be traveling with you. And they're very clear that that person must be available with picture ID, with their player's card, when you check in. Because if not, it would be very easy to make a reservation for my wife and I, and for her and a girlfriend to go, and the casino's not getting the value that they expect to get, or the opportunity that they expect to get to, to have access to my bankroll and the fact that I might lose. So everybody has to be available when you check in. And you can't do that, as I said, on the app. So what that means is that I always have a better room selection available. We always have a better room selection available if I add Mrs. TRG's daily theoretical to my daily theoretical. And it was a great room. It was an amazing room. And okay, why well, get a great room? You're never there anyway. That's what the people that would go tell you who go to Vegas, buy the cheap bottle of booze at the corner store, and then some juice and some soda, and they wear a backpack, and they walk around drinking their drink and seeing the sights and getting drunk. No problem with people that want to Vegas that way. My problem with people that want to Vegas that way is that they want to get snarky because I prefer to just be able to relax in a beautiful suite with beautiful views and chill out. We love the big TV in the living room, in the room that we're comped. We love it for taking a break. We love it when we're getting ready to go out. We love it when we're hanging out at the end of the day and enjoying the lights on the strip and maybe having a, a nightcap. We like those things. And that's worth taking a little extra time to move from regular rooms at various Caesars properties to at least mini suites at, at various properties. So there we go. Plane tickets are booked. Use the MGM rewards card to book the tickets. So we get tier credits on the plane tickets, paid for the tickets with winnings from the cloud safe. Boom, done. Trip planned except for meals and shows. Oh, and a car. One amazing car. We'll get to that in a minute. You may recall that a couple of years ago, I started to split, when I could, my action between Caesars and MGM. I wanted some options. I thought I could manage to get the right tier in both brands instead of a higher, less valuable tier with only one brand. I thought I could spread out comps with both brands, and that lets us stay. That's worked out, and that lets us stay in resort cities like Atlantic City or Las Vegas for longer periods of time on comps because we can move from one hotel to another hotel being what Trace and Lana would call casino nomads. And of course, they spell nomads with a K. Um, <laughs> it's nice of them to riff off of us. That's fun. That said, having said all of that, blah, 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 both places, the reality is that other than a couple of brief solo stays by myself at Mirage and a last minute trip a couple New Year's Eves ago to stay at Mandalay Bay, we have not really stayed at the south end of the Strip in a very long time. 
when we weren't worried about comps, when everything was not all merged together into just a few monolithic brands, when we were going to take a vacation that we were going to pay for, we would just book a, an interesting room in an interesting place that we'd never stayed. So we have at various times stayed at Mandalay Bay, stayed at uh, MGM Grand a couple of different times, had great stays there. But that MGM middle part of the strip, we have not really spent a lot of time there either as hotel guests or just as visitors while staying other places in a very long time. And that was part of the purpose of the first part of our trip, other than a great vacation, a great spring break for my wife. Part of my motivation, part of my being able to enjoy living a casino lifestyle going forward, part of my understanding what my country club options were, meant that I wanted to check out that part of the strip. I wanted to do that from the renamed, remodeled Park MGM. Heard wonderful things about it online. Really, really wanted to go stay there, check it out, understand how that part of things worked so we could understand or continue to understand where the MGM brand fit for us. So we arrive at the hotel, and Gold Tier lets us get our uh, own check-in line. Always look for those. If you're gold, if you're diamond, if you're third tier in whatever program, at least check to see if there's a shorter line available to you. There often is. And if you're above the third tier, if you're at the fourth tier, there is almost always a, a, a quick line for you. And the cool thing about the gold status with MGM is you get a comped upgrade, room upgrade comped on your comped room just for asking. If you just say, hey, do you have any upgrades available today? They'll look and they'll do that for you. And we did really well in that regard. So our comped room was, I found out at the desk, not facing the strip. So they upgraded us to a strip view room. Those are harder to get. And then they upgraded us into the bottom floor of the Nomad Tower, which is their more exclusive part of their hotel, the top best floors. And it was a stay well room, which in the MGM brand gets you a white noise machine and blackout curtains and uh, filtered water and a whole bunch of other health things that you can value or not value. But it's a room, it's a comp that's worth probably $30, $40 a night. Because if you book a non-stay well room, you say you book a one king non-smoking, and then you look at a stay well one king not smoking at any property across the MGM portfolio, you're going to see a bump of tens of dollars for those extra features. Not sure I'd pay for them, but it's always nice to get comped into them. We also had some free slot play. They explained us how to get that and use that. And we had some resort credits comped as well. And to make sure we are all on the same page here, resort credits are free money associated with your room. Tax-free and imaginary free money, but free money nonetheless. All of your room charges go against that free money first until you've used that. Now, you don't get comped on spending that free money. It's a comp already, so you don't get comped on the comp. But the bottom line is, we had a comped room, we had comped resort fees, our room got upgraded to a better view and better amenities, and then they threw some free slot play and some money to spend on top of all of that. That is what I mean when I, when I talk about having and using a player's card, and that's why it's part of the core concepts. This was, I think, even though we were early in the week, 
probably the rack rate. The You're not a member, you don't have a card, you don't have a discount, you didn't go through a packaging company, you just paid for the rooms. Probably $1,000 in stuff right there. It's all recorded in the app. We'll get it at the end of the month. But my point is there's a lot of casino lifestyle value out of that. I set up the trip my wife wanted and I expected the blackjack on the strip to be horrible. It was kind of baked into the cake. It was kind of factored into the thinking. And it's going to turn out that I wasn't as right as I thought. And we're going to see that. But our first night traveled. We're tired. We're going to play some cards. And and the options at Park MGM are horrible. They're just exactly what I expected to see. But the problem is, there's nowhere for us to play as a couple. I get fidgety at 6 to 5 as I'm getting ready to go to Tier 3, and I move, following ECE's Casino Wisdom, I move to the best table that my my play will get, the best rules. That leaves Mrs. TRG playing by herself, and so when I come back to join her, she's just not happy. Not unhappy, but she's less than happy because we're not having time together as a couple. We're not spending time together because we're not finding the rule set. And in that moment of first night frustration, we just said, let's grab a cab. Let's head down to Circa. We know we'll be able to play there. We know we'll have a great time. And we did. We had a blast. We really like Circa. Circa is old Vegas. For those of you that are not familiar, Circa is downtown Las Vegas in the Fremont experience. It's what people now call old Vegas. It used to be called downtown Vegas. Circa is a brand new top of the line resort. The first new full new construction hotel property, resort property, casino property in downtown Las Vegas in old Vegas in a very, very long time. And we really, really enjoy it. We had a wonderful time there, won back the money we had lost to to have a a, a little bit of a profit, I believe. Should have checked my notes from the previous segment. We had a great evening. Real talk, I planned the trip the easy way. I planned the trip by going onto websites where I could just put in my information and book my casino offers and play them off against each other and see all of them. And Circa had sent casino, had sent offers saying call for casino rate. And I didn't bother to call and ask what those would have been. Midweek in April? It may very well be that we could have done Circa instead of Flamingo and would have taking care of the cost of the transportation. The shows would have had to have been different. The restaurants would have had to have been different. It would have had to have been planned out a little differently. But if maybe I hadn't taken the easy way out, maybe if I'd have made a couple phone calls, I might have had that first stay at Circa that we really want to have. I need to call next time. That's the takeaway from this. It might have been cheaper to pay a bit and stay there where we can play the game we enjoy the way we enjoy playing it. But a great first night nonetheless. A wonderful start to our vacation a wonderful use of comps and reward systems. And the next day was exploration day. Because as I said, I really don't know this part of the strip in its current incarnation very well. We passed through all of it years ago when it was brand new. And we passed through it once and it was MGM and it was nothing particularly better than what we had at Caesars. And we just hadn't, other than a show here or there, no real reason to go back. And now we do have, and now we need to explore, we need to understand. And I had read online about trams and walkways that connected the various properties, and I needed to understand all of that. I was really interested in the idea that from Park MGM with strips and transportation, uh, all complementary for everyone, that I could get basically get from the equivalent of New York, New York on the Tropicana corner to the middle of the strip, the Bellagio, Caesars, 
Cromwell Horseshoe, the Flamingo Corner, all basically indoors and in comfort with only some walking. That's something I wanted to see. And it's very nicely set up. The walkway to Aria from Park MGM, quick and easy. Wish we'd have known about it the night before. Wish we'd have maybe done, you know, I had it in my mind. I had second day explore on the itinerary. So when we didn't find, as expected, anything we wanted game-wise at Park MGM, we just bolted. The reality is if we'd have done a little of that exploring, the Aria had exactly the game we were looking for. Wonderful property. Gotta spend more time there. Looked at all the features and amenities and restaurants, and if our comps ever get us there, our comps are getting us there. We are definitely going to check it out. A quick tram ride to the Bellagio with a stop at the Crystals Shopping Center, which has a really, really neat, we didn't do it, but I want to on our next trip. They had a really neat immersive room at the, the Crystal Shopping Mall that alternates between, I may get this wrong, one of them's Disney, immersive Disney. So the walls, the floor, the ceiling, everything's Disney art and images that are constantly changing because they're screens. And then there's also a Picasso one. If it's Rembrandt, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not really good with my early painters. I think it's Picasso. Uh, but a really neat option there. Some really neat shopping if you're into shopping. Ended up at Bellagio. Short walk to the conservatory. We don't get to the conservatory as often as we should, in hindsight. We've been there once before. The conservatory is uh, flowers, plants, uh, that kind of stuff, artistically arranged. And they change it out multiple times a year for different holidays and seasons and that kind of thing. It can get a little crazy, we've discovered. Everybody wants pictures. So everybody's in everybody's pictures, but it really does work well. The whole transportation thing works really, really well. Basically, air-conditioned, comfortable, some walking, but one major corner to another major corner to the part of the strip that we know best, quick and easy from our home base at Park MGM. We found out that Aria, as I said, it had the tables we were looking for the night before, and we just didn't have enough information to know that. We did play a little at Bellagio. We found some three-to-two games there that were very fair and reasonable at the limits we wanted. That's why we were exploring. We were finding out that the tables I couldn't find with MGM on my last trip have now returned. Great, great, great value for the next trip, right? We're always taking advantage of the previous trip from a comp point of view, and we're always positioning ourselves to know more and have comps available on the return trip. So we're living off the past gambling, in the form of free stuff and we're setting up free stuff the next time because we have a player's card because we want to live a casino lifestyle did a little meet and greet with uh, a squad mate who happened to be in town kind of tucked into uh, one of my favorite bars at the back of the Cromwell just love that bar don't love the prices necessarily but love that bar you got to know a, a, a listener I learned a great deal about competitive model aviation which was just fascinating. It's just something I knew nothing about. And and I had an expert there and I asked maybe too many questions and learned a little bit about the process of invent, inventing and patenting hand tools. Really, really interesting things. And this also highlighted to us how nice moving between MGM properties is in comparison to moving between Caesars property. Other than going from Paris to Horseshoe, if you move from Caesar's property, Caesar's property to Caesar's property, you're out on the strip. And the area in front of Horseshoe is a crap fest, honestly. 
It's under construction. That's nobody's fault. It'll be great when it's done. I understand they're reusing that real estate. That makes sense. But between the construction, the street performers, the hustlers, and the homeless, just all of it, uh, it's a mess. And I guess I'll show my age a little bit. Uh, Back in the day, all you had to do when you walked the strip was ignore the guys trying to hand you cards so that you could hire a prostitute. That's all you had to do. You could walk that part of the strip without issue, without concern. Those guys are not as round, around as much anymore. Uh, still a few of those guys smacking the cards and trying to get you to take one before you realize it's for prostitutes and you drop it on the ground. But again, showing my age, my casino lifestyle is just less enjoyable when I have to dodge the homeless guy sleeping on the sidewalk, not make eye contact with the showgirls who want you to take a picture so they can then demand an amazingly outrageous amount of money from you. Uh, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Anyway, walk past, don't don't make eye contact with the showgirls. Edge your way past the guy with the entire drum kit made of buckets sitting on the ground and then get past the woman trying to make sure you see her sign that says, please give me money so I don't have to give BJs to strangers. Uh, not what I want. And I'm going to come back to the, I'm going to contrast that to the MGM piece in a minute. Let me share one funny one with you that I was, I'd forgotten about actually. In our new home, Mrs. TRG is building a, a wall of, of all the place, various places we've been. There, there are pictures of us in casinos or casino situations in our travels, various places. And she's always looking for unique pictures to get. And she said, hey, we, it's a Vegas, very Vegas thing to do. We should get pictures with some of these showgirls that are walking around. And I said, okay, I'm not opposed to that. Let's make sure you're, we're on the same page. What do you think they're going to expect as a tip for taking a picture with us? And my wife says, oh, well, you have to be good to them. You have, you have to tip them at least five, ten bucks each. And I said, okay, honey, that's why I wanted to have this conversation. From what I've read online, if you give them anything less than $50 each, you're going to have a confrontation. You're going to have drama. They're going to expect at least $50, and they're going to be aggressive if that's not what we give them. At which she said, oh, well, I don't want the picture that bad. It is not worth that kind of money for one picture. That's ridiculous, which I agree. Having veered off into the story, let me do the compare and contrast, right? We had Caesar's piece where you're out on the strip and you're dealing with the homeless guy and the drum kit and the woman with the sign and, and, and all of that. And I'm sure that all those issues maybe also happen like on the strip near the M&M store over by MGM Grand. I suspect if we walked around near Treasure Island in the fashion show mall, we might see some of this. But it was an interesting comparison. It all comes down to this. Moving between Caesars properties involves being on public sidewalks. Moving between most of the MGM properties involves being in spaces owned by MGM. It involves being indoors that aren't public spaces. We didn't deal with any of that moving between Park MGM, Aria, and Bellagio. We didn't deal with any of that moving from Park MGM to New York, New York, because the only sidewalk we were on was maybe 30 steps uh, crossing a street, and they had two policemen there to make sure you didn't get hit by cars. So strong police presence, not a lot of terrain, none of that there. So we didn't deal with, and maybe that's bougie, and maybe that's wrong, and yeah, Mitch will probably come find some reason to tell me I shouldn't say these things, but... 
we really came to appreciate that we could move around the MGM part of the part of the strip without some of those other things to deal with. We finished the day back at quick stop back at park MGM and then went to the mad apple Cirque de Soleil show at New York, New York, followed by some gambling at New York, New York, where we again found exactly the tables that we were looking for. I overplayed them a bit. I was a bit arrogant and stupid, but the tables we wanted the very reasonable tables to play on vacation were there and available to us. MGM Exploration Day was very, very informative. We are looking forward to staying at Park MGM or New York, New York again in the future, or fingers crossed, maybe Aria. If I only had two nights in Vegas for whatever reason, and I was picking either the Flamingo Corner or the Tropicana Corner, I would definitely pick the, the, the Tropicana Corner. I would definitely be trying to stay at Park MGM or New York, New York, certainly based on the tables we saw. Besides the wonderful transportation systems, we learned that we really liked Aria, as I said, and the group of three casinos combined, New York, New York, Park MGM, and Aria, all are just kind of casinos within easy walking distance of each other. I also learned that MGM at this point is offering the blackjack tables and rules that I struggled to find on my previous visit. Park MGM gave us a false impression the first night, and had we known better, had we already done the exploration, we would have just quickly gone to the other properties and we'd have been fine. In fact, the games are better, if I'm being honest, the games are actually better having played them than what I usually consider my minimum when looking for a game. In a pleasant surprise, we discovered that these MGM tables that have surfaced since my last visit now allow aces to be resplit more than once if another eight is dealt and they allow surrender. Those are player-friendly rules that I don't see very often and that, in fact, reduce the house's advantage below what I normally get at my local casino. That's a good piece of information, and that's a strong reason to be MGM customers in Las Vegas, not Caesars customers. The next day was pool day, and this is part of the exploration process because a bad pool marks the property off the list forever. It's not negotiable with my wife. We stayed at Paris once, she doesn't want to stay there again, and here's why. The Paris pool, first of all, is boring. She can live with boring. It's just a big octagon of cement with some palm trees, but it's built so that it's under the Eiffel Tower. And because the Eiffel Tower is a very large pointed tower, and because there is sunlight in Las Vegas, the tower makes the pool into a sundial. So if you come down early in the morning and you want to be in the sun, in a couple hours you'll be in the shade. And conversely, if you want to be when you walk down in the shade because you don't want to be in the baking sun, in a couple hours you're going to be in the baking sun. So, Mrs. TRG always says, we're not going to stay at Paris if it's pool season. We could stay if it wasn't pool season, that would be fine. But during pool season, not staying. So we have to go see the pool. And it's always bothered her with good reason. I should bother. That's too strong a word. She would appreciate if I would spend time at the pool. And in our younger days, I would. I would go down. I'd get sunscreened. I'd get a drink. I'd be there about 30 minutes. And I'd go, well, that's about enough. You have fun, honey. Once you finish up, uh, you you go ahead and, and, and give me a call or send me a text. And, and we'll meet up and we'll go do stuff. Whenever you're ready, it's fine. But I've started to try to enjoy pool day. I've started to try to do more than a 30-minute one drink. I've tried to pack some books to read. I've tried to be, I've tried to understand this interest in pool day, because that's not me, really my thing. 
So I started to enjoy renting a day bed or a cabana if we can stretch, but cabanas just seem to be a bit much. You know, cabanas are set up for six, eight, 10, 12 people. There's two of us, but I've started to enjoy this thing of rent a day bed. You know, you have a good seat. You know that you have a, a an attentive waitress and we came down and we ate brunch and we had a couple drinks and I hung out for several hours and I read a book. Those resort credits I mentioned, they paid for the day bed. And we got tier credits and MGM free tax-free imaginary money for what we spent on drinks and brunch. And of course, we paid for those with our MGM credit card to get more of the various points. This is back to the idea that having and using a rewards card is an important aspect to living a casino lifestyle. You heard about the gambling after pool day. You heard that I went to work and made money, made money, made money. The interesting thing that happened after I left is Mrs. TRG went back in the pool and there were several other uh, ladies about her age and they said, hey, you can come hang out with us. We were going to order another drink. Do you want to order another drink? Now, Mrs. TRG is living that casino lifestyle. She's making casino friends. She's making casino friends that, in fact, at some point you might run into again and then you exchange numbers and then you plan when you're going to be there and see who's going to be around. And so these four ladies are chit-chatting and talking, and eventually one of them has to go do this, and one of them has to go do that. And Mrs. TRG's new friend that had invited her into the group, they got talking about where are you from and this and that. And the lady just looks at my wife and says, I knew it. I knew you got it. See, we can't talk about these things, whatever these things are. And they were talking about the comps and the fact that we come and we don't really pay for anything. And, and that, you know, that by gambling this time, we get good, good stays the next time. And that in the summers, we travel from place to place. And the lady's like, yeah, those other two, those other two women, they just don't get it. And, and I try not to talk about it in front of them because it just makes them jealous and mad. They just don't get it. They just don't understand how to manage this. Mrs. TRG had a wonderful afternoon. I made plenty of money, but she was already saying, I can see coming back here and running into her again and knowing people at the pool. So the pool passed muster. The pool was very nice. She was very happy with the pool. We can stay there again because she was happy with the pool. Uh, once we got cleaned up, we were, uh, I was looking kind of in the room and I was waiting for Mrs. TRG to finish the last couple things. And she was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, you know what? We, uh, we planned pool day instead of a show, right? There is a bit of a budget here, despite living a casino lifestyle. There is a little budgeting going on. Show the first day. Pool instead of a show the second day, even though a chunk of it was comped. No show tonight. So I said, I got this, I got this. And we jumped in a cab because I'd just done a whole bunch of gambling at a whole bunch, at a relatively high level. I had just gambled for several hours in the hotel where we were staying. So my logic was, okay, now we can go gamble not where we're staying for the evening and probably all the Theo numbers, all the average daily theoretical numbers will look okay. So we grabbed a cab and we went down to Atomic Liquor. Now don't confuse Atomic Liquor on Fremont Street, outside the Fremont Experience, with the Atomic Saloon Bar and Show at the Venetian. Very different things. The Atomic Liquor Bar... It used to be a liquor store and bar, apparently, way, way back in the day, is the oldest bar in Las Vegas. It has liquor license number 0001, the oldest bar in Las Vegas. And that's why we went. Wanted to see it, wanted to experience it, wanted to check it out. It also put us on Fremont Street, and that's where we had decided we were going to spend the rest of the evening was on Fremont Street, enjoying the Fremont experience. 
From the outside, the atomic liquor bar was all that you would expect. <laughs> kind of beat up. Not sure what door to use. As I said, it's well past the, the Fremont experience. It's well past the El Cortez. It's just this bar on the street. And we go inside and it is so dark that it is hard to see even though it was full daylight outside. Again, exactly what we expected. What we didn't expect was that the interior was wonderful. It wasn't beat up at all. The The bartender wasn't a bartender. He was a not, I really did. Look, I show my biases, right? I figure if we're going to the oldest bar in Las Vegas, that it's going to be beat up and run down on the inside and that we are going to have a bartender who's very competent at handing out bottled beer pouring beer from a tap and pouring rum and Cokes and vodka and Red Bulls. What we got was a very knowledgeable and attentive mixologist who had all kinds of details and stories about this bar and who it was owned by. And you should go check out this. And oh, did you know that there's this down on Fremont Street? And oh, there's this restaurant. And they had an amazing craft cocktail list. And he made our craft cocktails with precision and attention to detail. And everything in both cocktails were served in unique glasses, well suited to the drink that was poured in them. And the appetizers that we ordered after ordering the drinks were delivered very quick, quickly, very well done. They were delicious. My casino lifestyle can happen at the Atomic Liquor Bar and anytime. Just just any time. In fact, I may from now on, when possible, start my visits to the Fremont Street experience there. I would go back for that space, those cocktails, and that kind of appetizer and food service any time. And the prices were very reasonable. The prices were kind of within the realm of what I would expect to find just anywhere near my home. Love this place. Love that I get to chalk off my Vegas bucket list that I, I had drinks and, and appetizers at the oldest bar in Las Vegas. It was absolutely wonderful. From there, we made our way to Fremont Street. We explored the container park a bit, something that, once again, has been on my list of things I wanted to do. We were a bit disappointed. We see what they're trying to do. It just seems very aimed at locals, not tourists, which is fine. But we just keep hearing, you got to go check it out. You got to go check it out. We went and we checked it out and... I didn't find much to, to see or do. Maybe we caught them at the wrong time of day. Maybe weekends would be better. I don't know. We spent the rest of the evening having drinks at the Revolving Bar at Binion's, which was really fun. Then we stopped at the Four Queens for some Silver Strike tokens. And let me explain those to you, because this is a part of Vegas that I missed. And this is a part of Vegas that I encourage others to take advantage of at the, at the remaining location. It seems that I missed... For years and years and years, these slot machines called Silver Strike. And they apparently used to be all over, and they, they take quarters. You play them for three quarters, 75 cents a spin. And if you get a Silver Strike symbol as the third symbol, then a special tower of big coins, bigger than uh, a traditional silver dollar coin, big coins, a big tower of them with multiple bins ro rotates around and drops out in a plastic case, a silver or sometimes silver and gold colored coin with artwork on it. And it says it's from the four queens on one side and the artwork is changed and rotated every quarter. 
So apparently every quarter there are three to five, I'm not sure on the exact number, new coins. And while they used to be everywhere, now I understand they're only at the Four Queens, maybe at the Plaza. I keep hearing conflicting stories about that. So I have tried when I am at the Fremont Experience to remember to go in and play that and get those coins because even the recent... Oh, let me oh, let me fill you in. You take the coin like a chip to the cage and they give you $10. So you win if you catch that. And we have found that usually $20 put in the machine will generate, before you get to the end of the $20, two of those coins. So if you play and stay stay on it, usually, not always, anything's random, you get two coins in 20 bucks. This time, I got two coins and had $10.25 of my money remaining. So I made a nice profit, and I recorded the profit in the app, but I didn't cash in the coins at the cage. Most of those coins sell for $20 or more on eBay. So I just add them to my chip collection. I just add them to what I've put aside as mementos on, with the thought that eventually, you know, the little lion maybe maybe gets those in in you know 20, 30 years, and in 50 years, he has them and, and they have some real value. So fun little visit to the four queens. Picked up two silver strike coins. Enjoyed doing that. Had some fun doing that. And we finished up at Cir- Circa again. And we just love that place, as I said. So. Another downtown visit, another Fremont Street, uh, Fremont Experience visit. Kind of a great, great way with the pool day and the winds and everything. Great way to finish up our our stay at Park MGM, which takes us to day three. And day three is a transition day. Day three is we're moving from Park MGM to Flamingo, which means checked out by eleven, unless we try to pull some strings or pay some extra, and check in at Flamingo is three o'clock. And yeah, we can probably check in at two, but we tried to use something that we learned from Trace and Lana, the Casino Nomads, who hosted episode 96. We tried to use one of Trace's ideas. We planned touristy stuff away from the Strip for the day, and then we'd go back to Flamingo and check in after 3 o'clock. All right, the story about the day to get to the story about the day. I I decided I was going to rent a car. Mrs. TRG wanted to see Red Rock since I saw it without her. Very fair. I kind of broke the rules on that. Very reasonable that she wanted to, to do that. And I had told her, we would rent a car so it didn't mess up her hair. That didn't work out too well. So my sons said, oh, dad, use Turo, use Turo. Don't just go to Enterprise and rent whatever. Don't do that. Rent from Turo. Get something really unique. Get something really fun. It'll be it'll be the same or less money, and, and you'll have a blast, and you won't just be renting any whatever from Enterprise. There's a video game that I've played many, many times over the past 10 years or so, called Fallout New Vegas. And it postulates a kind of 1950s era New Vegas, or Las Vegas, that there was a nuclear war and now it's a dystopia and it's been a couple hundred years and humans are starting, having survived all that horror, are starting to repopulate Las Vegas. And that game starts in a town called Good Springs at a saloon called the Pioneer's Saloon. A saloon called the Pioneer Saloon that when I checked it out is a real place and serves brunch. And it's not really out of the way from the other things that we were going to do, touristy things that we were going to do. I rented from Turo a 2022 Corvette C8R. The R is a unique designation. It stands for race. And it is a top-of-the-line 2022 Corvette in all the mechanical features with then a special race-inspired paint job. And they only made a 1,000 of them. 
and they made 137 of them yellow with gray stripes, and they made the rest gray with yellow stripes. And we rented one of the 137 yellow ones. Uh, these One of these cars in pristine condition recently sold for $300,000 at a Barrett auction, and someone was willing to, to rent me one for about a day's pay. And that certainly beats whatever Enterprise would have given us. No, no uh, shade on Enterprise. Bunch of pictures on Instagram. Pictures of the car in front of the bar. Uh, pictures of the car at Seven Magic Mountain. So we go out to the oldest saloon following a trend here. We go to the oldest saloon in Nevada, the Pioneer Saloon, established 1913. Nevada liquor license number 0001. Two number one licenses in 24 hours. It was really neat to see Good Springs. The food was not so good. The food would have been appropriate to 1913, I think. I wanted to like the food more than I did. The bar looked like it probably would have looked in 1913, minus some electric lights and indoor plumbing. It did it did not disappoint in that regard. Uh, the car was wonderful. We had some problems understanding the top and had to talk to our host, so I failed at Mrs. TRG's hair not getting messed up. We went to Seven Magic Mountains, as I said. If you're not familiar, Seven Magic Mountains is big painted rocks piled on top of each other like totem poles. I'm going to say between five and, and seven stories tall in the middle of the desert, which kind of shows you that tourists will go see anything, even painted rocks in the middle of the desert. There was an amazing number of people there to walk around these huge piles of painted rocks. <laughs> you know, maybe it just doesn't under explain, shows that I don't understand art. I mean, that's probably the reality. The problem with reality is if you really understand art, this is an amazing art installation in the middle of the desert. Glad we did it. Glad we saw it once. Uh, the car that we rented was a great way to see it. <laughs> and I'm not sure I would ever want to do that again. I mean, I'd have to be with somebody that's like, oh, I love art. We got to go see this TRG. You got to go with me. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll go with you. Let's rent a fun car. Um, <laughs> We did Red Rock after that, took a lot of great family pictures there, got a lot of pictures for the wall, for Mrs. TRG's wall, put the top back down now that we understood it, and cruised down the strip, played the Casino Combat theme song really loud a couple times, noticed some things about the strip that we hadn't seen in a while. It's been a, been a minute since we started the Stratosphere and, and drove all the way down to Park MGM. So that was a lot of fun. Parked the, parked the car in valet at the Flamingo, complimentary valet. That's why I mention it, because valet is comped if you are a Diamond or Above member. And the fun part is that the Flamingo valet is a big circle, and they have cones to, to show the inside of the circle. And when I came down to pick up the car... In the next morning, the car was parked right where I right where I dropped it off, right there in the middle of the circle with all the cones around it. So they were either protecting the car, which would be wonderful, or they were showing off the car, which is possible they were doing both, right? Both both conclusions can be correct. But drop the car at Comp Valet. The check-in line at Flamingo is always a huge mess. That's not an insult, that's just true. Lots of Vegas check-in lines are a huge mess. But Casino Lifestyle to the rescue. Player's Card to the rescue. They have a Diamond and Seven Stars check-in available. Where there was no line. Where they hand out ice-cold bottled waters to tired, dusty travelers who have been out enjoying Red Rock and Seven Magic Mountain. 
we got the room, as I said, because we were able to use both both cards. Great room, floor-to-ceiling windows, views all the way from Mirage to down to the Bellagio. We had a view of the fountain from the side. Just a wonderful, wonderful mid-strip place to live for a few days. If they'd let, you know, if I could Howard use the whole thing, I don't need the top four penthouse. Just, just give me, just let me live in that room with those views. The bathroom was great. Plenty of storage. I need a refrigerator. That would be the one thing. I'd need a, 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 a bigger refrigerator. Uh, and maybe Mrs. TRG couldn't. She would want to decorate it differently. But I could just live there. Living room with a great TV. Wonderful, comfortable king-size bed. Amazing bathroom. I, I couldn't ask for anything else. I I'd happily just live there. I've told you about the gambling that evening already. Let me share one thing that should not be part of my casino lifestyle and that I need to develop some more skills around. And if this sounds like bragging, I, I really do apologize. And I'm, I suspect, okay, maybe this isn't true for everyone listening. But normally at fast food places and diners, I, I don't pay much attention to the price, especially if there's just one or two people. We order, we pay, or we order, we eat, we pay. It's usually not a big deal, right? I don't really pay attention to if the quarter pounder with cheese is 15 cents more expensive in one part of the world or the other. I kind of know what I'm going to get. I kind of know what I'm going to expect. So we've eaten at Johnny Rockets at the Flamingo any number of times. It is kind of that... We know where it is. We know what to expect. We know that's on the menu. We're just looking to grab something to eat. We don't want to wait in line. We don't want anything fancy. We're not trying to stop and think and plan and, oh, what's this over here? We're in the Flamingo. We've been moving all day. Brunch was less than great. We're getting ready to gamble and probably have some drinks. Let's just grab a burger and then we'll get started with the rest of our evening. So we ordered. Two burgers were informed that they've made some changes. Fries are included, not optional. Mrs. TRG orders a water. I decide on a chocolate shake. I decide to splurge. Now, I want you to do something. I really do. I want you to do something right now for me. It's easy. It's simple. Not going to have to move. Not going to have to take your hands off the steering wheel. I'm going to keep talking for a few more seconds, and I want you to guess what the two burgers two fries, a water, and a milkshake cost. I want you to get that dollar amount in your head. Got that number in your head? Got it? Not yet? Okay. Take your time. Decide what you think that cost. Got that number now? Good. We were charged $56 for two Johnny Rockets burgers, cold French fries, and a water, and a milkshake. And the counterperson didn't seem to understand why we were kind of surprised and shocked and thought that was out of line. Lesson learned, I guess. We could have gone to In-N-Out Burger, which was just out in the link promenade, and paid a good bit less than that. I gotta learn to pay attention to that. $56 for very, very average food in this context is ridiculous. It, it really is. We could have gone and split an appetizer at one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants and had two craft cocktails and not been much more than $56 other than the tip. I mean, everything on this strip is stupid expensive right now. I mean, drinks that used to be overpriced at $15 are now overpriced at $18 to $20. But these are usually well-made craft cocktails using the very best ingredients. This was two very average burgers, cold french fries, as I said, a water and a milkshake. Flamingo and Johnny Rockets both should be embarrassed by what they did there. They have embarrassed themselves, in my opinion. The next morning... Breakfast was on the porch at Alexa at Paris. It used to be called Hex. 
excellent food, excellent food, excellent to sit there and have brunch and watch the strip and enjoy it. Weather was great. We checked the blackjack rules at Horseshoe and Paris and Planet Hollywood. The good news, compared to my last trip, table limits have come down from 25 or 50 to a more reasonable 10 or $15 for the six to five tables. So there are more six to five tables and they are at a more reasonable 10 to $15. We couldn't find a three to two table for less than $100 a hand. Just not a couple friendly option. An improvement, but not the improvement we needed. We did see some three to two tables at Planet Hollywood that looked like they might open in the evening. Vegas. Vegas always changes. From there, after a quick stop at our hotel room, we planned to go through Caesars to Mirage and join the Hard Rock Unity Rewards Program because we'd heard from reliable sources that they were doing a tier match, MGM Gold, to their third tier, and that they were giving $100 in free, tax-free, imaginary money to those people who converted over. And we hope this would be prepping for future trips by doing some gambling there. We are really not happy with Caesar's gambling options at this point. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, I suspect. But we're hoping that with a property in Vegas and a property in Atlantic City, that we built up some future comps with this brand by the play that we did there this visit. Once again, trying to use those players' cards and those player card relationships to accumulate future comps and future benefits. Not sure what the Mirage is going to be once it becomes Hard Rock, but we like the Mirage a lot. We like the food choices. We like the bar choices. We like the table rules. We like everything about it. So we'll see how that works out. So we make our way from Flamingo up the steps, across the walk, down the steps, all out on the strip, you notice, not inside. And we go over into Caesars and we check out the remodeling and all of that and see what they've done to their lobby, their foyer, their entrance. And there are some $15, six to five tables. And we're like, what the heck? Let's play a little bit. Probably the only play we'll do the rest of the night with a Caesars property. And we sit down, and Mrs. TRG is just getting wrecked. Nothing's going her way. And she says something about, it's really ridiculous that as I sit here and lose $25 hand after hand after hand, that I just can't find a fair game. And the pit boss comes over, and he goes, well, what do you mean you can't find a fair game? And she goes, I'm just so tired of this 6-5 to five stuff. Why can't we have the same games that Aria and Circa and New York, New York can give us? He goes, okay, I hear you. He goes away and we're not doing well. And it's going to wrap up really, really, really quickly. And then the pit boss comes over and he goes, you know, I just called over to the other pit. You can see it right through there. And they have two seats and I told Ronnie to save them for you. They do have a $25 table that's three to two. And we said, oh, okay. Well, we should have looked a little further then. That's that's on us. And so we go over and they've saved two seats for us. And we sit down. And uh, we play a hand and the pit boss comes by and moves the table limit to $50 and says, you folks can play the rest of this shoe at 25 and then it's going to 50. And Mrs. TRG and I just looked at each other and laughed. And he's like, "What? what's so funny? And I said, we, we moved from there to here because they told us we could have a $25 table and we go through all the process of coloring up and coming over here and getting into the game and we play one or two hands and then you move the table limit on us for the last 10 minutes. I don't understand why we bothered. And he tried to say to me that, well, the price of gas went up, so the price of blackjack has to go up. And I said, okay, 
this is this is not my first Vegas or my first blackjack. I said, I've watched prices on gas go up and down for 30 years, and I've never seen the price of blackjack go down when the price of gasoline goes down. So I'm not accepting that as a logical point of a logical counterpoint. I said, beyond that, the price of a hand of blackjack has gone down across most of the Midwest that I visit over the course of the last five or six months. Some places are all the way down to $5 to get people to play. And he goes, well, how could you possibly know that? And I said, oh, I've been hosting an award-winning podcast for three years about gambling and the game of blackjack, and I'm very plugged into what things are. I said, beyond that, I said, I've explored almost all of your empire here in Las Vegas. I said, other than Harrah's, We've pretty much been to all the properties, and this is the one three to two table we've been able to find at $25, and you just bumped it to 50. And he said, well, and I said, well, I said, what is the result? Aria can offer this game at $25. New York, New York can offer this game at $25. I have it on good authority that Mirage can offer this game for $25. Circa can offer this game for $25. But you want me to believe that somehow Caesars can't operate offering this game at $25. And then I did something obnoxious. I stood up, stopped the game, and I crossed my arms. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, said, I'm looking around your pit, and I'm standing exactly the same way your dealers are standing. You want me to believe that Caesars can't afford to offer this game for $25, but your only $25 game is full. There are two people behind me waiting, thinking it's $25 when I came in, and you had the seats marked, and they were annoyed. And when I look around, I count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 dealers, at $50 and $100 tables, standing with their arms crossed, not dealing. And I'd bet if you drop those down to the 50s to 25 and the 100s to 50, that your 25s would fill up pretty quickly. But you want me to believe that it's more cost-effective for the company to pay the lease on this square footage and all the expenses that go with running this square footage, lighting, heating this square footage, and paying those dealers whatever you pay them to stand there. And he said, well, you make a good point. And he moved away. He went on to do his pit boss things. And another pit boss comes by and he goes, who moved that? Who moved that to $50? And the dealer says, oh, so-and-so did. And he goes, that's fine. He, she goes, oh, and he, he said that, uh, that uh, they could play the rest of this shoe. And he looks at Mrs. TRG. And admittedly, my bet was larger than hers. But he looks at Mrs. TRG and he looks at the dealer and says, they called. I told them they could have a $25 table. She can play $25 as long as she would like. The rules do not apply to her. They apply to everybody else, but she can play as long as she would like at $25. Now that's a pit boss that's handling something the right way. And I enjoyed the conversation. The conversation I had with the previous pit boss was not a negative one. And I had said that to him at one point. I said, I'm not mad and I'm not angry and I'm not giving you a hard time. You're just the person in front of me, and I'm trying to help Caesars understand that if their pits for blackjack are constructed this way, we're just going to walk through and go to Mirage. We're just going to go to the cab stand and call a cab and go to Circa. You're not going to get us to play at a higher level because of that's the game you're offering. And he understood that. It was a polite conversation. It was professional to professional conversation. And we had a nice time playing, and ultimately Mrs. TRG broke even. I lost, 
Mrs. TRG broke even. We made our way through the mall. We stopped at Gordon Ramsay's Pub and Grill, which we really, really like. Our move there is just to grab some of our favorite appetizers, grab one of their craft cocktails. Had a wonderful, wonderful crab and shrimp roll. They do a great job. The 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 brightness and freshness of of the of the lobster shrimp roll set off nicely with the highly spiced margarita that I had. Just delicious and a great pairing that I came about at random. And we made our way over to Mirage where we had show tickets and we played a little bubble crap. So as I said, I bumped my limit up and we played a couple slot machines and we went and saw Shin Lin and Colin Cloud. Amazing, amazing show. If you get a chance, go see them. They're going to be there for years. They just signed a new contract. The fun part, just as a side note, and and it was a great show, but we're waiting in, in line for drinks and the bartender goes, that's a great vest. That's excellent. I see exactly what's going on there. I need one of those for when I am gambling. I absolutely need, where did you get that? And so I explained, continued to tell him that I got it from Amazon. And we were talking another minute as he's pouring the drinks. And, and he's like, I got to get that. I got to get that. And I said, you know what? And I pulled a business card out and I said, I do a podcast and if you go to this website, to the TRG recommend section, there is a link right there and you can order the exact same vest. He's like, oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. So once again, vest in action. Show was great. We did a lot of gambling after the show. They had that great pit that I really like, still at $25, still the same waitress that takes such great care of me. We'll cover the gambling itself. We'll cover the fun part of the gambling. I lost and then I recovered. I told you that earlier, but there's a great story there. We gambled to the wee hours of the morning. We had a great time. We had the kind of table that you always want to have when you're out on vacation. And I'm going to tell you about that. We finished up by walking out the front of the building, showing our gold or no, our unity card. Sorry, forget what property I'm at. Showed the unity card to the guy at the cab stand, let us go right to the front of the line at about one o'clock in the morning when cabs are busy, got in our cab, they took us back to uh, to the Flamingo. And you might be saying, well, TRG, you walked there. It's not that far. You're basically right across the street from Harris. Why not cross the street, walk past Harris, walk past Link, walk past the Link Promenade and go to Flamingo? And my response to you is that's very reasonable, but I'm living a casino lifestyle. And I am not going to short myself. I'm not going to walk through all that at night, that distance, with the denizens of the strip that I've told you about to save $8 plus tip. That's all it is. It's zip, 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 over, done. Couple minutes, back in our great hotel room, ready to wrap up our evening. No reason in my mind to save that few bucks, said the guy that lost too much money on vacation. Uh, Next day, room service for breakfast. Mrs. TRG says it's not warm enough to be a pool day. That was our second possible pool day. We had Brad Paisley tickets at Wynn that evening. And so after our leisurely brunch, we decided to just rewind the previous day. Play some at Caesars because we know the Empire has one table during the day for a few hours. So we'd check that out, make our way over to the Mirage, play there for a while, spend some of that free money that they gave us as part of converting our card, and then go to the Wynn for the show. So we walk in, we know where we're going, we head toward their one table, and who's sitting there? Can you guess? I'm just going to wait a minute. Those of you that have been listening for a while, those of you that know these stories, we walk into the only $25 table that we can find in Caesar's entire empire, and there is one open seat right beside Trucker Mike. 
right beside my good friend trucker Mike. He's sitting right there at Caesars. His wife, who we know, who's also a school teacher, is having a pool day. This is the same trucker Mike that I know from my local casino that I've run into in uh, Laughlin that we've encountered as part of the podcast in Atlantic City. This is casino lifestyle. This is the casinos as a country club in the sense that we walk in and we're miles and miles and miles by air from home and there's our good friend Trucker Mike. It's wonderful. So we had to sit down and play some with Trucker Mike and eventually he left and we had the table to ourselves. And if you want to hear great stories from dealers, find the older female dealer still dealing at Caesars. Because they've been there since the mob was there and running it. And they have, if you get them talking, they have amazing stories to tell. So our dealer, wonderful lady, uh, had been there for, since since she turned 22, she said. Been dealing blackjack. She used to deal in high limit room. And I think we can all draw some conclusions there. And she said that back in the day, one of the de- her regular customers was... The uh, Mid-Eastern Arms dealer, something, something, something. And she told me, and I remembered the name from my youth. And she's like, he was amazing. He was a great tipper. Everybody knew who he was. He had a girlfriend who was from Paris. And she would always fly in with him. And she's a beautiful woman. She's always wearing all this jewelry. And if he started losing, he would just look at her and say, My dear, the emeralds are not bringing me luck today. Please go put on the rubies. And she would go up to the hotel room and she would come down and all the emeralds had been replaced with rubies or diamonds or whatever he was convinced was going to gonna um, help him win. And um, the other thing that she shared with us, uh, she shared with us that when she came out and the mob was running things, they were bringing a lot of people in from illegal casinos in other parts of the Midwest to do the dealing. She goes, and they were all thieves. She goes, they're they're all dealing illegally, so they're all thieves to begin with. And the mom knew that, but they needed dealers. And so the bosses, the pit bosses made sure that every single dealer walking in knew that if you were going to steal, if you stole more than $100 per shift, and this is in the 70s, if you stole more than $100 per shift, you're gone and you're going to be buried in the desert. So everyone stole exactly $75 every night. Every shift, they stole exactly $75 because they didn't want any risk that the bosses might think they had stole more than $100. So they would pocket three green chips at various points and pretend they were stealing and everyone knew they were stealing and that was okay. And those are those stories you hear. I also, and I've, I've told you this before, the Australian guy I played with who said I was a right good mate. It, we had a, a, a dealer who had dealt when the mob was there. And her take was she much preferred working for the mob than for the corporate management because if the tables were slow, the mob would come by and tell her to drop a, a black chip in the tip box to take care of the dealers. And the corporate pit bosses never do that because they're watching the bottom line. So if you want to hear some good stories, Find an older female dealer at Caesars, and if you get her talking about when the mob ran it, you're going to hear some interesting stories, and, and, and our dealer in this case did not disappoint. We went over to Mirage. We did some more gambling at Mirage. We went to a lounge, uh, an ultra lounge. I'm sorry. In Vegas, we now have ultra lounges. <laughs> They're really fun. They're really swanky. They're not VIP lounges. you got to pay for everything, and the prices are up because you got to pay for the ultra part of it, too. 
But uh, it's a really cool little kind of patio oasis surrounded by palm trees looking out on the strip. Comfortable places to sit. A great cigar selection. I do... I don't enjoy the way I smell after a cigar, and I wouldn't smoke a cigar in the vest. But it's an environment I could really enjoy a cigar in. Just a beautiful, you know, cigars take some minutes, right? You're not going to just do a cigar in 10 minutes and be done. You got to commit to smoking a good cigar. I could sit at the Ultra Lounge and have some drinks. Oh, it's called the Rum Bar. R-U-M-H-B-A-R, Rum Bar. Nice little food menu, nice drink menu. We'd had a, a listener that I'd been texting back and forth with who was kind of just behind us uh, in their trip up and down the strip. They were kind of uh, drinking and gambling their way down the strip before a red-eye flight. And uh, so we kind of tucked in, spent uh, a good chunk of that money that we were given by uh, the casino for free, enjoyed drinks, enjoyed some snacks, met with uh, met with a fellow squad mate and got to hear some more about them and more about uh, their journey. We caught a cab down to the wind and Mrs. TRG thought I was nuts. Because they're right by each other. And then as we take the cab down, she goes, oh, you were right. This is a really long walk. I'm glad you decided we were going to get a cab. Brad Paisley was absolutely great. He did a great show. And we've seen him previously locally several summers ago. And it, it came across like a rock show, right? Big lights, big electric guitar sound, big drum kit, all of that kind of stuff. Backup singers. This was just Brad and a guitar in a spotlight, with a microphone, talking to us, and singing. Really, really, really fun. And I have a post-show story for you in the virtual VIP lounge in just a minute that I'm going to tell tell you about. We finished with some stupid gambling with stupid rules at the Flamingo. It was a great vacation. We had a lot of fun. Getting to meet some of you is always just an honor and a privilege. The fact that I now, the podcast has grown enough that when I was in Vegas, there were two different listeners that wanted to, if possible, meet up with us was just great. And I'm noticing something interesting about all of you. It's really cool. It really unites all of you. It's a common trait you have, at least so far. You all have a podcast origin story to share. You all have a story about how you found the podcast. Basically, a story about how we met that I don't know till I meet you. And that's a very, very cool thing for me. Uh, cool is spelled with a K, of course. <laughs> My last observation would be that all the comps we used and enjoyed, there were probably a few more that if we had focused a bit more, there were probably a few more things we could have done. I didn't ask for comps as we left either property. Those are called back-end comps. And it's often a good thing to ask for those, and I didn't. And my logic was this. Informed sources tell me that both brands, Caesars and MGM, are taking all of your free, tax-free imaginary money first when you ask for those back-end comps, and then deciding if they could do anything else. We have a lot of travel planned over the summer. I want that free, tax-free imaginary money available to get into Diamond Lounges in Atlantic City, to pay for rooms at the MGM property three hours west and north, to pay for those kinds of things, to bridge the gap. Some situations where we could maybe stay one more night, but it's going to cost a little bit. I want points to do that. And so I decided to hold on to that free tax-free imaginary money and not ask them for additional comps. Last note, The last note I'll leave you with is this. Once we got home and the points settled, that stupid night of gambling that I did at the Flamingo because I was staying even with a previous loss, that stupidity that annoyed Mrs. TRG and that I've admitted was stupid, I generated half the points I want to get for the year 
in one night with the bonus points. I'm halfway to diamond off of a very limited amount of gambling. So the stupid plan did actually work. It did. We spent a wonderful casino lifestyle week in Las Vegas. Some of what we spent on cars, shows, meals, cabs, and drinks was money won previously. We enjoyed great room comps, great comped valet parking, money to gamble with, money to spend on meals and drinks, even with the money lost. We'd have spent a lot more going to Aruba or Miami Beach or other warm places. And that's what being good at the game of casino gambling allows us to do. Hopefully, I've made some of those points, reinforced some of those points, and some of that will benefit you in your future travels as well. Next up, two very quick and I think very eh, amusing, I think they're amusing, hopefully you will too, stories in the virtual VIP lounge. A little bit of the bubbly. Our lounge is open. Welcome to the most must-listen-to segment in Casino Lifestyle Podcasting. Each and every episode, the Casino Combat Virtual VIP Lounge. We have the best virtual everything virtually all the time. We do. We always do. And after hearing everyone's list of the fresh-baked virtual goodies that everyone says we need, T-Rex has resolved the issue permanently. Permanently. If you look to the left... No, my left, not your left. If you look to the left, you will see that we knocked out a virtual wall to make more virtual space. We've installed a green kitchen and a yellow kitchen, competing virtual robot chefs, just like they have in Hell's Kitchen, who will literally make virtually everything you want. T-Rex even programmed one of the chefs to sound like the Swedish chef from The Muppet Show. So, if you got a muffin and you want some jam... Just ask the chefs to take care of it. We have resolved that issue. We do have literally virtually everything and two chefs to make it for you. A perfect addition to the Casino Combat Virtual VIP Lounge. Boy, you never thought all the way back in episode two that we were going to end up not only with a virtual buffet, with, with a virtual restaurant and robot virtual chefs in our lounge. That's an amazing upgrade. So thank you for those who suggested that we needed a pizza oven. Took us a few episodes, but we got here. Thank you very much. Order yourself a drink, whatever you would like. Grab a virtual drink. If you can, press pause and join me in a drink. Pour yourself something. VIP lounges are for stories with friends, and it's one of the favorite things that I enjoy. So given all the the joy and heartache I've just talked to you about, the stupidity and the arrogance, I'm going with my go-to been a long episode been a fun episode to record i hope you all enjoy it crown royal apple just a couple ice cubes i got a couple great stories to share with you very quickly today i think this episode's probably going to go long and i apologize i do appreciate the gift of your time but i've got exactly the kind of stories that i would have told in my local in the vip lounge in my local casino if they hadn't taken away with me i'd have run into jack and lady die or the world's kindest man uh, sitting at the bar and they just said hey how was your trip to vegas did you guys enjoy it what'd you do and a couple of these stories would have come would have come out and and we'd have had a good laugh over them so i'm hoping you will too and the first involves the end of the Brad Paisley concert. Great concert, as I said. And of course, when a concert that size lets out, everybody's just moving down a hallway like a river. And Mrs. TRG says, I'm going to need to stop at the ladies' room. And I say, yes, yeah, sure. And then she goes, oh, and I need that picture. And she points to a wall with Brad uh, on it playing the guitar. And I go, okay, well, we kind of... And she goes, "What? later, later. So we go down, stop at the restroom, and the crowd is still just pouring out. And she's like, but I want that picture. 
And I think they're going to close those doors once this is done. And we won't be able to get in. I really want that picture. So let's go. And so she's going to walk upstream, if you will, right? The river of people. She's going to walk upriver against them. Five foot three. I've mentioned several times that uh, I'm of the opinion that the vest lets me move through crowds a bit easier in most cases. Uh, that's by observation, and maybe that's just more arrogance, and, and I'm reading the, the room wrong. But uh, the, it is true that the vest probably adds about 20 pounds of perceived size. It makes me look like I have pecs that I don't have because of the pockets and the things that I have in the pockets uh, within easy reach. And so once again, I just put her behind me and, uh, and, and, and held her hand and put her behind me, and I start moving through the crowd. And I'm having success moving through the crowd. And we're getting closer and closer to the picture. And all of a sudden, in front of me is a very, very tall person. Very tall. I'm, I'm going to say he's 6'8", with the wingspan that goes with it. And he goes, all right, here we go. You move over here. And I say, okay, well, what we're trying to do is, is I know, I know, she wants a picture. I'm sure that's what's going on. I really don't have time for the origin story. Folks, if you could just move out of the way and let this nice lady have her picture. And he proceeds to take the camera out of my hands, having taken charge of the entire situation <laughs> and demonstrate that young and tall is better than a vest any day. <laughs> he's cleared out an area, snaps a couple pictures, He's, he's got a, a young lady with him, and they're moving over to take... And I say, do you want me to take that for you? And he just kind of looks at me and goes, no, I got it, and reaches out his huge long wingspan, easily able to take the picture they want without anybody's help, something we were not able to do, and then we're both back into the crowd. Just funny the way he, he took it. Yes, sir, I know. I don't really have time for your origin story. Let's just get these done. And moves people out of the way. Um... I'd like to be young and tall. I could dump the vest if I was young and tall. But it just struck me in the moment. It's kind of a fun Vegas kind of experience. And then the last thing I want to share with you today as we wrap up this wonderful episode, episode 112, there's a kind of blackjack table. And I'm sure there's it's true of craps tables. I've been at craps tables that were this way. I don't think I've ever been to a Baccarat table that, 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 that's this way. But the table just develops its own energy because things are going well for all the people playing and it, the table develops its own little jokes and its own little personality. And you never know how long it's going to end. And the trick is when it ends to get out, when that energy starts to go, when somebody starts to have some losses and they start to leave and the energy starts to leave the table, that's the time to exit. But you can't, in my experience, manufacture that table. You can't will it to happen. You can have entire trips and it never happens, and you can have trips where it happens more than once, but you can't make it happen. You can't make this energy, this fun, this where the dealer's in on it and enjoying it with you, even if there's two, multiple dealers on breaks where they're hoping you're there when they come back. And of course, you're tipping because you're all having fun. And we stumbled into one of those when it didn't look that way at the Mirage after the Shin Lim show and... It kind of went something like this. I get crushed. I buy in again. I get crushed. Remember I told you that great spicy margarita that paired so well with the uh, lobster shrimp roll? Well, at this point, with other drinks at the rum bar, and then a really big cocktail because of the pricing of it going into the show, I'm not 
feeling super great. Not in the drunk sense, just the spices and the spicy margarita that was really great. Now I'm thinking maybe that wasn't such a great choice and I'm losing and I'm, I'm low energy and um, I'm telling my wife, maybe I can catch a second wind, but I'm getting crushed here. I'm just going to sit out a little bit and she's playing and she's doing okay. And I don't want to ruin her good time. And a young man joins the table and, and He's big energy, big personality. Um, he wins his first bat. He comes in with a green chip, one green chip. Looks like anybody's just going to pop in the table and leave. And we're, she and I are going to go back to having the table to ourselves. She's going to go back to having the table to herself and me just kind of hanging out. And I'm kind of ready for the, the evening to wrap up because I'm just not feeling good. And I've been losing and, and just all of it. And uh, so he bets his green chip and he wins. And he bets two green chips. And he says to her, this is my last bat. Can't lose. This is my last bat. I got to get out of here. I got to get done. This is my last bat. And she says, okay. And he wins it. Well, we see this last bet thing a couple times. And we see purple chips come out. It's clear he's got a lot more going on that we know. And he knows the pit boss. And he knows the dealers already. And he keeps telling us it's his last bet but then he needs to double it or split it. And then he does. And then he wins and all those chips disappear. And he's always making his last bet. Fun guy. And at one point he says to Mrs. TRG, boy, he's just low energy, isn't he? Referring to me. And she goes, no, no, you do not understand. He is, he's uh, re- recuperating from, from uh, a fair amount of, of food and drink, but normally no, he's not small energy. Don't worry about that. Um, but he's just not having his best day. So, they're having fun and she's winning and they're having fun and she's winning. And I decide that I've got you know, a little stack of my negative exit chips there. I six, $700 left left over money. I realize some of you are going to go, you had $600 left over. You had my whole bankroll. I get that. I'm sorry. I'm like, all right, start of a new shoe. I'm going to, I'm going to play with you guys. I'll, I'll jump in see if I can make something out of this. And, um, I, I end up losing all the way down to the last two units after putting a couple units in a win stack. I'd made a little win stack and I'm trying to play with just six units. And I end up somehow in the midst of all that with a three three unit wager because I'm trying to come back. It's kind of my, the way things have gone. I've been all in twice and I make the $300 wager and I have to split it and I've got enough money left over from the win stack to split it. And then I need to double it. And I do, and it's all garbage hands. And I've borrowed money from my wife and all of this is going on. And the dealer busts on six cards. So there were moments where it still looked horrible for me. One of those where dealer draws two cards and has an 11 and you think you're done and then they get an ace and then they get a three and then they finally bust while you were thinking you were going to lose when they were at 11 and all of a sudden all I can, all I can do, all I can think is this. We are back. We are back. We are back. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we're always gonna hang out. And now he goes, now our, our friend, you know, last bet, I'm going to call him last bet. We've got a Excelsior Brigade member, uh, same bet. But uh, I'm going to call this guy last bet because it was always his last bet. And uh, now he's like, oh, you do have high energy. She was right. I'm like, yeah, I think I got my second wind. I think we're going here because now I've got 
I got money to play with, right? And now we're playing and we're joking and the waitresses are coming by all the time and pouring drinks and we're all having fun and we're all tipping. And now we're joking with him. Well, this is your last bet. And he's like, oh, you're right. It is it's my last bet. And then a few minutes later, he's colored up another purple chip and it's disappearing. And we're laughing and we're joking. And, and another guy comes in and joins our table. And as I said, it's a fun table. It's a high energy table. We're laughing. We're joking. We're just, we're having a great time with each other. I'm sitting there thinking this is exactly kind of the table that, that we needed as a couple, that we needed to have this. And she's winning and I'm kind of coming back. And this guy, we're worried. We're looking at him side eye, right? Because he may screw the whole thing up. And he does something dumb. Doubles his 13, his hard 13, doubles it against a seven or something. And it works. We all get paid. But but last bet is like, dude, I'm not sure you can be doing that. I'm glad it worked. But dude, you can't do that. And of course, I hit him with, okay. Then as of this moment, they're on double secret probation. So he was. Now we're joking around about the fact that he's on double secret probation, but we're winning and we're and we're going. And then he's going to split his tens, and we go, oh no, 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 don't split your tens. And then we find out he doesn't really speak English. <laughs> As we get through this, we we through the process of convincing him not to split his tens, we find out that he's really struggling to understand any of this. So he's just a stranger in a strange land. And we win that hand, and it's like, okay, you're off double secret probation. We we had that high energy go on for three, four, five shoes. Many cocktails. Well, well after midnight before finally you could feel it. Last bet, bets a black chip and says, That's my last bet. And we go, it is your last bet. Come on, let's go, let's do it. And, and he doesn't win. And uh the the gentleman that was on double secret probation, he decides he's going to leave, that he's he's lost and he's going to leave. And last bet makes his one last bet. And it is his last bet. He loses and they make him color up some of his purples for yellows. Guy had plenty of money. He had won thousands of dollars, not at our table specifically. Apparently he'd been winning a good bit the whole time. He'd been in the casino. He'd been there for several hours, it sounded like. And I could just feel it. From past experience, uh, I could just feel that whatever magic we had captured, whatever lightning in a bottle we had grabbed, it was gone, just from past experience. And I kind of said the same thing to Mrs. TRG, and she kind of counted. She goes, yep, I know. I'm going to make this last bet. It's my last bet unless I win. And I said, okay, mine too. And we had one joke that the three of us had all been, each made our last bet, one after the other, and... All lost that last bet. But as I said, uh, Mrs. TRG had won. She'd quadrupled the money she sat down with. I recouped about half of what I had lost prior to that on that day. Uh, as I said, she did hand the winnings off to me to, to kind of help uh, with, with my negatives. But it was a great table. It was that great energy. It's that, that energy that you, you only capture often in resort areas as opposed to just local casinos. It, it just, it, I, I always hope that we'll get one of those and get one as a couple and we don't always. And, and those are a great thing. If you have those, love them, cherish them, <laughs> share them with me. If you have one of those, let me know about it.
All right, tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. If you have a host, tip your host. Don't tip away your wins. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. In 10 years, we may find out I was wrong about all of this. It's time for leaving, and I hope you understand I was born a rambling man. Love it, hate it, it don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the gift of your time today. Just a call.